Hello, welcome to 80, 89, episode 89, not just 89, it's the episode number 89 of the Riot Act podcast, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and a very disappointed Renfrey Deadman who thinks I <laughs> fucked up this intro, which I probably have, to be fair. I think you made up for it with the jolliness of the intro, yeah. which is not something we hear very often from you, is it, Steve? Well, it's a lovely sunny day, Renfrey. It's a lovely day, yeah. It's been a lovely day. It's a lovely. It's just a shame none of us are allowed out, <laughs> it, really. But <laughs> pretty much. But it is a sunny day, so yeah. that's nice. It's a bit sweet, um, isn't it? Yeah. Just had Easter. Had a bit of time off for Easter. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Just uh, like my normal life. Both of our lives are just one long Easter now, aren't they? It's really getting. Um, you know, uh, we recently um, shared a cover, uh, A. Williams covered uh, Every Day is Exactly the Same by Nine Inch Nails, which I think is probably the most pertinent cover of mm. this entire period at the moment. Um, I mean, it's not a terrible day, but it is getting a little samey. It is, yeah. It is getting a bit weird now. I'm sort of done with it, to be honest. I've been well... Like, I'm doing that kind of happy thing at the start because I've been well grumpy mm. the last sort of few days. I've hated everything. I was like... I tweeted how much I no American TV show is funny. I was like, no American TV show is funny. Then I followed it up just in my in my, in my in my head by going, why can't the British make drama? I was watching Quiz, which I think is actually quite good. Right. I was just like, if HBO made this... It would be good, and because British idiots have made it, it's shit. <laughs> well, Americans can do drama, but not comedy, and Britain can do comedy, but not drama. I mean, a couple. What I was thinking. Couple of counters to that, and I know full well you love it. Arrested Development. Arrested Development. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Seinfeld. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. I think anything post Arrested Development is sort of what I meant. Sure. Yeah. I tweeted that. No, I think only one person tweeted me um, the office, the US office, the office in American f- workplace. Not a fan of that. Are you? Uh, um, <clears throat> No, they're below serial killers and paedophiles, people who like the US office in my <laughs> list of people to avoid. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Very early with scum. the cutting, Sub, aren't we? Okay. Subhuman scum. Uh, anyway. Um, I'm glad I don't have yeah. a, a strong opinion one way or the other, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, but anyway, if you do want to uh, stop not watching US Office, which you shouldn't do, you should go over instead to Musicism. What a weird link that is. It was but weird, but I music, admire it. But, it's good. Yeah, really weird. It doesn't really mean anything, but yeah, I'm going to carry on anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, musicism.net is where they provide some of the finest online courses and tutorials for budding singers, songwriters, guitarists, and producers such as yourself. Uh, no, not if, if that doesn't apply to you. I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to the person it does apply to. Arrogant. Um, <laughs> wow, this is going to be a long yeah. show, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, as I said, they've got a new course at the moment. I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's a new one for guitarists covering advanced scales and chords. Perfect for writing more complex and interesting chord progressions and improving your improvisation. Some of the bands that we have on this week's show could maybe do with that course. Others, not so much. Uh, you can get 25% off when you put the code RIOT in capitals in the checkout. But uh, we suggest that you go over uh, if you happen to be in Enterprise and do that. Uh, on this week's show, <laughs> we're going to be reviewing... already. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be reviewing new albums from Enet Shikari from Aranzi Pazuzu. They don't need those courses. The Black Dahlia Murder, Sugar Horse and Wildcat Strike. Plus, in Broken Records, we all get trolled by Bob Dylan <laughs> on his 1970 effort self-portrait. Um, also, we want to say you should go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and sign up there. Uh, if you do that, 
you can get all manner of good stuff, mostly um, a whole batch of Rioters reviews. A couple of them went up this week. Mm-hmm. One of them for free for the uh, the latecomers went up for free. Our chat on Massive Attack's Mezzanine album, which we did, you know, way back in oh, the middle of last year, pretty I, much. I, I it's will, about a year old now. I will say um, we did the intro. I, I listened to the intro for that and it was quite pertinent of you. Actually, it was, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, because you said uh, if you're listening to this for free, you're probably living in a skip by now and the world is probably gone to shit and that's pretty much what's happened i mean if you are i living, knew it if you are living in a skip my condolences um but yeah uh very pertinent well done soothsayer steve thanks very much so you can listen to that um warning from the past for free now <laughs> uh and to heed the warnings kind of as they are happening um as i said go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast uh, and you can listen to our chat about Screaming Trees, Sweet Oblivion, which is up right now. That's for any amount of money, as is the likes of um, Them what? Crooked Vultures. Uh, we're going to be doing Death and Above 1979's debut record. Oh, uh-huh. I'm a woman, you're a machine. Doing that very, very soon. We've done Neutral Milk Hotel, um, Cat of Decapitation, Typo Negative. I've put blue for some reason. <laughs> we haven't done blue. <laughs> what have I written? <laughs> Blue. We definitely haven't done blue. No, I don't know what you're talking about there. <laughs> written blue. We've done Nick uh, Cave and the Bad Seeds. We've done Nick Cave and the uh, Oasis. One of their Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, uh, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, this girl. Yeah, uh, yeah, lots of. It. But we 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 haven't done blue, and I don't know why I in my <laughs> notes wrote down that we've done. <laughs> writer's review on blue uh, we haven't done that that's for any amount of money all of those as i said but if you want to pledge five pound or above then there is a separate tier an elite tier if you like uh and for five pound or more you get access to our classic albums series we've put three out so far the fourth one if you listen to this um this podcast today it comes out on friday you have to wait another three days on monday you will be getting a double podcast um, of kind of of two albums, kind of of one album, kind of of three albums. But basically, it's Renfrey's pick this coming week, uh, which is made up of two parts. One part, OK Computer, mm. one part in Rainbows. It goes on for about five hours? Oh, uh, four, four and a half. I've not, edit- I've not edited it yet, so I don't know. Right, okay. Um, I should say um, we had a little discussion behind the scenes and we've been releasing a couple of these for free. We've decided, because we are lovely, lovely people, um, that we're going to release uh, part one of that Radiohead special for free, which focuses on OK Computer as well. So yeah, I mean... You don't even have to pay any money just to listen mm, to that one. You should that's do, the sweet. Though. That's the sweet spot, the, uh, the OK Computer one. I mean, OK Computer and In Rainbows, obviously both fucking unbelievable records, but obviously OK Computer is significantly bigger yeah. as a commercial behemoth. So I would imagine that's the one you're going to be slightly more interested in. But you won't me to say. But you won't learn how OK Computer and In Rainbows are potentially, or maybe not mm. potentially at all, linked unless you sign say, up for the that's final. How we get them. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how we get them. That's how we get them. them. <laughs> <laughs> that's how uh, we get you so yes. so, so yes. we are gonna we are gonna release that one for free as well uh, uh because we're nice people and if you think we're nice mm. people here's something else that we haven't said for quite a while why not give us a review on the old oh, uh, apple music God. or yes because someone's gone oh two stars because they, they seem to have they're reviewing things and they are giving their opinion about things and that's the first review that comes up we've got all these lovely reviews and one going it's called hella opinionated 
Fuck off. Oh, yeah. I do remember reading that. I do remember reading that. What prick. It's almost as if um, uh, critics aren't allowed to have opinions these days, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't Our show weird? should just be, this week, this band have got an album out. You know, we've got some thoughts about it, but hey, you can all make up your own minds. That's just telling you what's out. That's not why you listen to the show. You f- <laughs> Wow. I mean, what? I, I hate. I hated that. I don't. If, if you think the show shit and you just think we're shit or whatever, you don't agree with our opinions. That's one thing. But mm. to say, what? Why have they got an opinion on things? They <laughs> seem to be really like that's what the show is. It's a review show. It is missing the point astronomically. I mean, it's, so could somebody just give us anything? Like, just say anything other than that. Yeah. Even if it's one and you suck, like I would prefer that to that fucking two being the first thing that comes up with him going, you know, we've all got opinions, guys, but, you know, you're really, really quite opinionated. You're very so opinionated. Fuck, it's fuck not, off. It's fuck not off. very professional to point out one person and say that they're a complete twat, but you are a complete twat, sir. I mean, uh, that person only listened to one episode. That and person can fuck off, off so. yeah. And they can fuck off, yeah. Uh, but hey, that's just like my opinion, man. So, <laughs> you know, make up your own mind. <laughs> twat. Uh, anyway, um, Renfrey, here's an interesting story. A uh, little bit of skullduggery going on. Oh, that we, I think we good, all probably knew was going to happen. Good use of the uh, word with, skullduggery there. Thank you very much. Um, Ticketmaster in the US will no longer be refu- refunding tickets for postponed shows. So unless your show is cancelled, I believe that is uh, what's going on at the moment. Yeah, more, um, more or less. We should. Well, I'm, says, I'm going to clarify... Uh, okay. if, if you don't mind, right. Steve, they have. I was about to read it, but you, you, you can read it. <laughs> they have very, very subtly uh, and without any um, fanfare changed the wording on the US Ticketmaster site, uh, informing customers uh, that they could get a refund only if their show is completely cancelled. Now, of course, in these times, there are an awful lot of shows that are being postponed and everything's a little bit up in the air. Um, and it's effectively it's effectively a way for Ticketmaster to be able to keep that money and not give out refunds for a few months longer. It is an interesting one because there is a side of me which is like, well, if if a site as large as Ticketmaster, who have a massive monopoly on the live events um, industry as a whole, if they had to refund everyone en masse, it would be a massive, massive dent in, unfortunately, not just Ticketmaster, but as I say, the live events industry, because they are such a monopoly over the market. However, my counter to that is that's exactly why they shouldn't have a monopoly over the market in the first place. Ah, yes, mm. exactly that. Mm. Yes, um, th- that that was the only thing that I saw in the kind of pot. Well, the thing is, can you imagine Ticketmaster? They do so many blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, yeah, they probably shouldn't then, should they? Yeah. I mean, I actually, um, I was saying just before we started, and I have actually just clarified it on my, um, my, my email. I had a little look at the email that I got sent yesterday morning. Um, I uh, have had my show that i was going to go to to see clipping was on friday mm-hmm. and um so today when this podcast comes out and uh it's just been postponed there's no rescheduled date yet but i bought those tickets from dice 
mm-hmm. and they've gone if you want to you know the gig's been postponed get in contact if you want a refund mm-hmm. now i don't want a refund mm-hmm. i want to go and see clipping when they reschedule so that's fine and i'm sure probably the majority of people if you buy, buy tickets to see a gig you probably want to go to the gig don't you i would but, i would have thought the majority of yeah, people are yeah, probably yeah. happy to wait but you know mm. the artful thing comes in changing the wording of the terms and conditions after the fact that is you know i mean all those people who bought those tickets when they bought those tickets that is not what the terms and conditions said uh no. so you know i and i don't know if there is an independent body that can um step in here and go well you're not allowed to do that i don't know if that's the case or not i wish i knew more about this sort of thing and i i don't unfortunately mm-hmm. um my expertise probably only by a go-go uh, the independent body that will step <laughs> in mm-hmm. um <laughs> but uh but you know it's it's pretty fucking artful to be honest um it's a pretty shitty thing to do and and but then yeah i mean i don't know it is it's a it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough one because i i empathize i oh, sorry i sympathize with ticketmaster to a degree although i don't sympathize with them that much because you know i i think also the fact that if they were going to change that wording they really should have sent an email out on mass to people to explain it and they tried to get away with doing it in a very underhand way and people were paying attention, thankfully. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's cheeky, but it's exactly what I would expect from an organisation like Ticketmaster. Oh yeah, really, as you mentioned, are a a monopoly and b not a very nice monopoly. Oh, they, <laughs> to they, be perfectly, they've to got be perfectly a hist- they've got a history with this kind of thing. I mean, dare I mention Pearl Jam and all that sort of stuff? You know, course, I mean, yeah. the history of Ticketmaster is pretty there is a book actually called ticket masters do you see what they did there which basically mm-hmm. goes into the history of Ticketmaster, which i've read it's a bit of a dry read but if you do actually want to uh find out the history of that website and just how fucking artful they are um it's quite a sobering read um yeah i mean i'm not surprised that they've done something like this but yeah cheeky is mm. an understatement very very cheeky indeed uh so but i mean you know hopefully some bands will speak up about it bands with good socio-political consciences mm-hmm. and that feels like a good segue into our first review Renfrey. ah okay yeah very nice doesn't it why yeah. you, were you gonna do something then and ruin it uh the only thing i was gonna say well i'm bearing in mind that the majority of our listeners around 84 percent of our listeners are based in the uk I should say, mm. because I don't want to worry people unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, and it is more straightforward for customers in the UK because Ticketmaster have made it clear that refunds will be available both for cancelled events and where ticket holders are unable to attend event on a rescheduled uh, date. So so this but, is mainly, this is basically for the US. Still fucking mm. artful. But um, yeah. yeah, so don't if you're UK but, based, and, don't and panic. Al- well, also keep your fucking eye out and keep your eye on those bastards. Oh yeah, well, quite. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. who, know, who knows when they might pull the rug out from underneath you absolutely um but anyway as i said hopefully somebody socially conscious blah, 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 yeah, which yeah, brings yeah. us on to our first review 
It's Enter Shikari. Nothing is true and everything is possible. It's a sixth album from the St. Albans post-rave quartet. They St. Albans? That's right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, the follow-up to the album The Spark in 2017. Ah, Enter Shikari. I am once again, Renfrey, faced with what I'm going to call the Enter Shikari paradox, um, which is that what we have here is a band who I think have done some fantastic things with DIY culture and their continued use of DIY culture, a band who are fronted by a man who is uh, seemingly well-read, passionate, intelligent, well-spoken, and has a genuine want to genuinely stand for something. Um, A band that have totally outlived the terrible subgenre that they were born into, Mm -hmm. um, New Rave, alongside bands like Hadouken and the Klaxons and other such trash bands Mm -hmm. as them. Um, A band that are always thinking in new and interesting terms and how they brand themselves, market themselves, tour and present themselves. But also a band who I would say... 85 to 90 percent of their output to me has been frankly pretty poor so that's that's very much in your opinion though isn't it yes Mm -hmm. yes it is absolutely that's why i call it the my enter shikari Mm -hmm. paradox Mm -hmm. because um i mean i guess in in some way um we are looking at everything that I said last week about Nightwish, um, except this week, <laughs> saying it all again, except this week you can replace the word Nightwish with Enter Shikari and you can replace the word Devin Townsend with Crossfaith's first EP. And I think you would probably get basically the same review. Ooh, not from both of us. Um, no, no, I'm talking about me. from you, from you specifically. Yeah. Um, never had any love for Crossfaith at all, even that first EP. Um, I think they're rubbish, um, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. Um, I think what I love, what I love and admire about Enter Shikari, they have a very idiosyncratic nature in um, loads of things that they do, but particularly their music. Their music is really idiosyncratic and brings in elements from all sorts of really wide ranging things there are moments where this record sounds like take that um you actually said this about again this record but again yeah i'm gonna say one direction this time i'm gonna change to say one direction (laughs) this time um and but there are also you know times where it sounds like a fucking rave you know and it's uh very idiosyncratic and all over the place for me um i'm much kinder to shikari than you are when they hit, I think they hit spectacularly. Uh, but when they fail, I think they fail spectacularly as well. But the key thing is, is whatever they do, they do end up doing it spectacularly. And I think that is the the key to the immense amount of respect that I have for Inshikari. The risks that they take are um, very, very high and they take them constantly. And there are not many bands. We're talking about an arena-sized band in the UK Outside of the UK, less so. Um, in fact, not an arena band outside the UK, as far as I'm aware. Um, but, you know, there are not many bands who play arenas that I can think of who take as many risks as they do. The only two are Nightwish, as we mentioned last week, and Biffy Clyro. Beyond that... Deftones? Ah, uh, fuck. All right, fine, I'll give you Deftones. Um, Nick Cave, Radiohead. Um, 
Arcade Fire. All right, I was thinking primarily in rock music. Okay. Um, but yes, annoyingly, yes, all those apply. Um, but you know, it, but even like I actually feel like Shikari are bigger risk takers than all of those bands, possibly. Maybe I mean maybe not Radiohead, but they they really do. They push things to extremes sometimes in a manner which goes in a direction that i really like and really dig and sometimes in a manner which goes in a direction that i'm really not into um their last record the spark for example um probably remains my least favorite shikari record i don't think it's a a a bad record or anything like that but i think they took a lot of um i think they went into a lot of places which didn't really quite work for me there are good songs on that record i mean rabble rouser for example i think was really really good and there's some really interesting experimental places that they go to that not many bands of their size would be willing to go to uh which is why i sort of have a lot of you know respect for that record still but um yeah they are coming off of the back of probably my least favorite shikari record um but when they do hit, I think, you know, I, I've often spoken about the Minesweep as a absolutely, I think that's an absolutely killer record for, for the most part, um, with very, very little wrong with it. And, you know, for the first uh, 10 years of Shikari's career, I was pretty nonplussed about them, really. I never disliked them particularly, but I'd never really particularly liked them. Um, but then I was offered, uh, I was invited to their first show at Alexandra Palace and it just completely and utterly blew me away. It remains one of the this best. This is the quadraphonic the sound quadraphonic show. quadraphonic sound show, mm, yeah, yeah, on the Minesweep tour. Um, and, you know, I remember thinking, oh, that all sounds a bit um, gimmicky, quadraphonic sound, blah, blah, blah. I was proved completely and utterly wrong. After that, I have been have said in the past that i wish all bands had quadraphonic sound at their um shows it sounded absolutely amazing um it doesn't always work i have heard i think they did the quadraphonic sound thing at 2000 trees and i think you need to have it set up probably indoors in order for it to work i think i I believe they did and i i mean i left after about 20 minutes i saw Mm. about 20 minutes that show and i because everyone said to me oh when you see it live and then i saw them live and i was like i still don't think this is good i mean it's funny how people say all this stuff about and shikari about how creative they are and and all this stuff and i can kind of i can kind of see what they're talking about but really renfrey isn't this just an album of somebody going core blimey apples and pears stone of crows i'm right brand off of this bloody government wob 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 that's it really isn't no it? Surely that's their no, come whole on. career isn't it no, really? no 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 this record um has elements of pop elements of punk elements of house drum and bass classical music uh oh, yeah, there's well, a we'll fucking orchestra a bit, yeah. there's an app there's there an, orchestra an orchestra on this record you know i mean everybody's no. got an orchestra these days joe mckeldry's got an orchestra do you know what i mean everybody's got strings it's not you know like you know, wow they've got strings everybody's got strings not many people go to prague to record a uh, rec- to record a song with the city of prague symphony orchestra no that's true which is exactly what what yeah. uh, Shikari have done in this case. What? Well, yes, and okay. Well, I guess we'll talk about the result of that in a little bit. But no, I mean, you're right. No, they don't. I mean, a band that Shikari. It's a lovely idea. Yes, a band that Shikari remind me of. 
in terms of what they're trying to do at the moment is Bring Me the Horizon. And in fact, this record reminds me a lot of Ammo, the last Bring Me the Horizon record. In, yeah, I can see that. In that, you know, Ammo was a record that threw a lot of ideas at the wall to see what would stick, basically. And to give them some credit, you know, um, some of those ideas really did stick. Little, there are there are yeah, some did. yes, there are some really good songs on Ammo. I don't think it's cohesive in any way whatsoever. The thing we said over and over again is that it sounds like a playlist rather than an album. The thing that I will say about Shikari is, on paper, there is no way this record should work at all. And yet, to me, this record, you know, with all the elements that it's trying to bring in, and I mean, as I said, house, drum and bass, rock, punk. Uh, classical music and yet this record feels surprisingly cohesive to me certainly more so than ammo um certainly the more that i listen to it i mean i've had this record for a couple of months now and it's one when i first heard it i really wasn't sure about it but it's grown on me in quite an astronomical way over the past couple of months it might be the record that's grown on me the most this year actually um and i think that it sounds remarkably con- cohesive considering the elements that make it up um that well the elements that it is made up of um and that is a hell of an achievement when you consider all of those elements that are put into the mix do you agree that it's cohesive or do you not you're looking at, at points, me at points mm, okay I d- well okay well here's the thing is that particularly um what you were just talking about, which is called Elegy for Extinction, Extinction. Uh, is a lovely idea. Mm. It is executed in uh, just the most jarring, um, unnecessary way. I think... I I don't agree with that at all. It just... I just think, why? Why are you just dumping a full-blown orchestral song in the middle of your album i don't think it works and that's not even to say that it doesn't work as a song like i think the actual like you know they've gone to prague they're working with a very good orchestra the song sounds very epic and soaring it would probably work as a sort of soundtrack to like i can imagine spider-man with his kryptonite flying over gotham city like in a film or whatever doing that would probably work but here in this point of the album it just sort of is like blop. There you go. There's a big orchestral thing in the middle of it. And I was like, why? And there's so many bits in this where I just think my problem with Enter Shikari a lot of the time is everything I just said about how they conduct themselves brilliantly and they're clearly very intelligent. And I admire the, um, I admire the, the, the want to push yourselves into these directions. And I admire the, the sort of the thirst for experimentation i think you have to what is it six albums in now mm-hmm. i think you have to accept your limitations sometimes i think they definitely do and, sometimes go into areas which uh, where they, they maybe have ideas above their station they definitely do uh to yeah. give them credit on this record i think it they seldom do that uh, personally uh, i think i mean to continue along the lines for, of that Elegy for Extinction record, really, that is setting up um, a theme that comes back later in the album on the la- because the last song is yeah, the last essentially song a, a, a reprise mm. of that. Um, and for me, I mean, 
to, to give you an idea, the first few times that I listened to this record, I didn't even notice that there's a three minute and 50 second orchestral instrumental piece in the middle of the record. You really? Know? No, not at all. It was it was not until my like fourth or fifth listen that I was like, hold on a minute. Like, bar, I think, um, oh, fucking hell, I've forgotten his name. I think the drummer is drumming on it, but I don't think any member of Shikari is actually playing on that song and that had that like it didn't stick out like a sore thumb at all for me it, i think it should do but i don't think it did and i think it's because this record has been sequenced expertly um and i think it's a hell of an achievement i mean it, it sounds like you said what did you compare it to you said um spider-man type thing I think yeah, like a big sort of soaring superhero soundtrack. To me, it sounds more like the sort of thing that would soundtrack um, a fight on planet Earth. Um, and actually, the composer who um, arranged it has actually done work with uh, on Blue Planet and Planet Earth and various things like that. I mean, it could be lifted straight from, you know, planet Earth or something along those lines, like two iguanas having it out um don't know why iguanas um but no i mean <laughs> why not <laughs> why not um but no i like yeah i honestly didn't even no it's not that i didn't notice it wasn't there but i it didn't occur to me that wait a minute they've just taken four minutes out of this 43 minute record 44 minute record to do a massive orchestral um instrumental piece and i think that says a lot for how well this record flows even though on paper it it really shouldn't the other well, to, yeah go on well yeah i mean to me it really doesn't okay but, i mean okay. that i think this this is kind of patchy very uneven very very inconsistent i think it often is already sounds a bit i think it's i'm gonna say dated but i think it's actually a stylistic choice to make that kind of old school rave that kind of mm. prodigy mm -hmm. thing i think that's kind of a stylistic choice yeah i agree um and i mean lyrically as well i think i i cringe a fair bit at some of the lyrics as well um i will say um Rao has never been the greatest lyricist in the world and routinely there are most shikari records have a fair few lyrical couplets where you're like oh really i mean um pouring acid onto your dinner plate is quite a classic one from the mind sweep as if that's you know a common or garden thing that one does um mm. i think to give him some credit um i would say that i don't think he's as bad as he normally is <laughs> on this record really? as a whole no not that there are there are a couple of things um Right at the end. We're of the all parkaholics drinking gin and tonics, lying in the flowers, counting down the hours. I mean, Noel Gallagher would fucking throw that away, wouldn't he? Um, he wouldn't. Th he wouldn't think to invent a word. <laughs> you, you know, you know that I like it when people invent words. So you know. Um, no, I don't mind that bit. Um, the the only one that really stuck out to me, which I was like, eh was um at the end of the Dreamers Hotel. If love is blind, hatred is death, and well fed and well fed. It's like, mm. eh? What? Eh? Mm. All right, fine. Um, I mean, funnily enough, you mentioned the Dreamers Hotel because, mm. I, like, to me, Enid Shikari are always a band who have this kind of delusion of grandeur where I think they'd actually, the stuff on, I liked the singles from the Mindsweep. I never thought the Mindsweep was a particularly brilliant 
album but i actually was on team rock and we got um the anesthetist mm-hmm. and great we song. got the last garrison which i think is a fucking yep. really really great song yep. Yep. and i just think like when they write just kind of banging dance rock songs mm. like dreamers hotel just a catchy pop song I feel like they can do that. Yeah. It's when they try and be like that kind of like, there's a bit at the start of satellites where they try and do like the modern muse thing. And it just, it just, it just, it jars so bad. Uh, but then when it goes into the actual song and I'm like, Oh, this is quite, a, quite a good upbeat pop song. Mm. And I got no problem with it, but it's the kind of the bells and whistles and the delusions of grandeur and the, the kind of the, you know, aiming for a very specific bullseye and not even hitting the dartboard so often is why I've always just been like, oh man, just be a fucking, like, it sounds sh- I don't want to ever tell a band to not be ambitious. Yeah, to, to rein themselves to not tr- to rein yeah, themselves yeah. in. But I do think every time I listen to Shikari, I just go, you are not good enough to do this. Do you know you what? You are not good enough. Do you know what, Steve? I do. I do think that is a fair criticism if you look at Shikari's career as a whole. Um, but for this record in particular, I think there are very few times when they aim for something and miss. If I'm totally honest with you, I think there are a couple. You know, um, there are a couple of hit, times. Hit me with the couple of times. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this, but um, let's have a look. <laughs> um, well, a song that I have grown to kind of grudgingly, <laughs> grudgingly like in a sort of Stockholm syndrome kind of way. The very first time that I heard the song "Crossing the Rubicon," which is really poppy, so really damn poppy. poppy! My God, that's um, One Direction. That is. Uh, I mean, I compared them to Take That before. I'm going to compare them to One Direction. Like, when I did the old Metal Hammer podcast, I went, it sounds like Take That. And people went, it doesn't sound like Back For Good. It's like, no, no. But if you listen to Progress by Take That mm, and mm. the song SOS or Kids when Take That were trying to do a sort of like modern dance rock thing, mm. that's what that particular end of Shikari... And this, to me, it, it's as poppy as something like One Direction. And I don't really mind that song. Because I'm like, yeah, that's what you are. Mm. I think I, I, I think One Direction is a bit harsh, to be honest with you. I think Latter Day Take That is a great shout, personally, for that song. Mm. When I first heard that song, it was nails down a chalkboard for me. I absolutely hated it. I could, oh, I really, bleh. it was not pleasant to listen to at all. It has kind of got its hooks into me now because that chorus is a ridiculous earworm um and i have kind of accepted that live that might be amazing potentially um so i kind of like it now it's still probably one of my least favorite songs on the record but it has you know over the two months that i've had this record it has grown on me a a lot that song um what else do i think quite works um maybe some stuff towards the end the marionette stuff um marionettes one and two the discovery of strings and the ascent um i mean i mean weirdly you know this is a a 15 track record and it's 43 minutes and 51 seconds which does make it quite bitty and i don't know how you're going to react to this but 
there was a lot of times when it reminded me of the wall by pink floyd um (laughs) but but do you understand what i'm saying in that it goes to it goes to an awful lot you know i think the humor of it is very monty python just like the wall um you know there is one song one of my favorite songs on the record uh waltzing off the face of the earth uh the first version of that is fucking brilliant it's so is it it's brilliant is it it's fantastic it's so like it's so surreal and so british and it totally reminds me of pink floyd you know i I was going to bring up waltzing on the face of the earth as the apps to 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 get to, to sort of hammer home my point that this is at least is a the umpa thing is an interesting idea incredibly badly executed i I think the execution of it is i i think it's the the thought of going we're going to put this kind of waltz behind this electro rock thing it's like oh that's a good idea that you know a few bands have done Mm. similar-esque things before Mm -hmm. to that obviously i think system of down would be the biggest Mm -hmm. one that you Mm -hmm. could think of we've done that um but they go full in with kind of you know trombones and um what's the big one called tubers and all kinds of yeah, stuff on it it's, it's surreal or parpy parpy you go surreal, oh, that's yeah. weird that's odd that they're doing that and then i was like what an interesting idea and then the more i listened to it i went but it's not a good song i think it's one of the best songs on the record i think it's excellent i, th- I think it is possible mm. I think, but the the, the the worst song. It's I think I don't think it's good. The thing that, that you way. the thing that you've missed out. It does have all the parpiness and stuff like that. But then it builds and builds and builds, and then this massive choir comes in behind it, and and Rao keeps singing the title of the album. Nothing is true, and everything is possible, over and over again. And it all hints at the surrealism of this kind of fake news thing that we have i mean something that you said to me um privately if you don't mind me bringing this up is you you said that sometimes you feel like shikari um say a lot of kind of political things but there isn't any uh intent behind it and i do actually think Mm. sometimes that is the case but with this record it feels very pertinent to these times i mean that made me feel like musically it was saying how surreal is it that we have like this i don't know if it's specifically alluding to trump but to me it said how surreal is it that we have this kind of president in power who's constantly contradicting himself and you know it almost seems as if nothing is true um but then you know on on the other side of the coin they want to say but and everything is possible i i mean it 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 connoted that to me it's not an obvious in your face message but then i don't think sometimes when messages are obvious and in your face that they come across as quite trite i mean i i I thought that was a genuinely interesting and pretty bonkers song and a really brave thing to do for a band of their size it's really it's really undoubtedly a very interesting and brave thing to do for a band of their size like it definitely is Mm. i just you know i mean comparisons with something like the wall to me are you know that's quite this is some some way away from being anywhere near being half the standard of anything on the wall i would say um i mean you know anyone who's listened to that pink floyd special will know that i don't really like the wall um so maybe it comes as less of a surprise i don't think 
I, I think there's loads of comparisons with Pink Floyd on this record. I think it's really, really stark and clear. Um, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm saying that it's the same quality as Pink Floyd, although actually I don't necessarily think that it isn't either. Um, but, you know, th I think this is a this feels like a much shorter truncated version of the sort of thing that um, the war was trying to do and saying as much there's for no, our there's times. No, there's no um, character or uh, like kind of conceptual through line through it, is there? Yes. Would you say? I, 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 that is... What, well, there's actually, there's a story? You think there's an actual oh, I don't, story? I don't know if there's an actual it. story, but I think there's a conception, I think there's a themes through the record. Yeah, there's themes in, you know, yeah, most records have at least a thematically about something and this is obviously thematically about something i don't know if it's not the I same as being a concept album is it no i'm not saying it's a concept album i'm just saying that a lot of it reminds me of the wall and you know just because just because you know the wall has a story going through it i mean it doesn't have a coherent story going through it as <laughs> i kind of proved on the sh on on the special so you know and certainly the film certainly proves it i mean if it had a coherent story why the fuck couldn't alan parker tell it um so you know um i mean you know we're not talking about the wall anyway but but mm. it definitely reminded me of that um there's a song called the pressure's on which is a wicked 80s pop tune that then sort of builds up and turns into some sort of i don't know space rave uh it's it's brilliant it's fucking yeah awesome. that's one of the best songs on it i think yeah yeah that's pressure's one on. of the best songs on it brilliant. that's really good like for me there's a few that are decent on here actually to be honest I, as i said i think dreamers hotel is really yeah, good yeah i like dreamers um, hotel. i think uh the pressure's on is really good there was another one that i thought was oh Re reprise three sounded like something like bring me horizon would have stretched out for 15 minutes on their last ep <laughs> so i think it's good that it's shikari have have the wherewithal to go um it's about let's four, just do it for like 46 seconds um yeah uh so and there's also as i said i mentioned satellites which i thought i was going to hate at the start of it um mm -hmm. and i think the king is is, is annoying um it's really annoying but it, then i think sometimes often pop songs that you kind of begrudgingly like can be annoying yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i'd I say i'd say that crossing think, the rubicon but yes, yeah 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 i, I think it I don't necessarily think it's good, but I do think it. I I kind of listen to it and it gets under my skin. And I think there's something to be said for bands that can do that. Um, You've named about a third of the album there, which isn't well, a bad start. Tracks, yeah, I mean the thing is, right? Basically, this is a perfectly Enter Shikari Enter Shikari album. It's full of kind of blippy, bloopy, shouty songs, and it's got some. I'd say fairly unnecessary dips into more interesting territories that I don't think they have quite managed to pull off in the main, mm. right? In the main. Um, but overall, I mean, it's not shit. I think there are bits on it that, that are, I think there are bits on it that are shit. I mean, I've heard any Shikari's modern, modern living sounds like sort of latter day streets, I uh, think which modern, I know you have. I think modern living's brilliant. I love that song. Right. I think well, it's fantastic. you should go back and listen to that Streets album I gave you a few years, like last year, because it sounds exactly like the sort of the fourth Streets album, I think. It's really, really, really rubbish. And it's the worst. Th I think Modern Living is comfortably 
the worst thing on the record i think it's dreadful absolutely dreadful okay um uh <laughs> i was like what is this sub mike skinner like that's the parkaholics drinking, <laughs> drinking gin and tonic shit surely mike skinner is a sub mike skinner isn't he well well <laughs> i mean this is worse than anything he's ever done i think this song mm, we're I'd all parkaholics drinking gin and tonics come on like, it's, it's, no, it's, no 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 you're getting the lyric wrong wrong it's apocaholics as in the apocalypse but that's that's a, that's about staring the apocalypse in the face and not wanting to deal with it so you get drunk instead i think that's pretty yeah, I, get. I think that's pretty smart actually i i think that's a i was about to say a great lyric i'll stop short of a great lyric but i think it's a good i don't think it's a dud i don't think it's a bad lyric i think it's a bad lyric and a bad hook and a bad song to be honest uh, well, i think okay. the whole thing of it is bad i think it's really quite bad i mean i disagree um, but fine yeah it's it's not good um yeah i think there's some stuff on it that is quite good i think there's some stuff on it that is pretty dreadful but overall it's not a terrible record mm. it's not a terrible record i mean it's not a t- for enter shikari it's definitely not a terrible record they've you know it, it's much better than the spark which i thought was yeah pretty woeful to be honest mm, um, certainly not woeful but it but but the spark is my least favorite shikari record by a long way i mean i think you sort of described it there as a typical shikari record i, I would um totally disagree with that i think the spark was a um uh a point where they tried something different um i remember interviewing them oh as as they were writing material for the spark and rao said to me that they were trying to dial down the guitars and trying trying to rely on guitars less often and i think when we look back on shikari's career i think we'll be able to see the spark as a point where they went off in a slightly different direction and for me the spark was one of those records where they were trying something a little bit new and didn't quite hit it. But I think this follow-up is them trying that same thing and hitting it in the main. Um, I'm not going to lie there for my money. There is not a single Shikari record, which is all killer, no filler. Uh, the mind sweep is the closest for me, which is in my eyes, 95% killer. Um, but, this one i would say is a good 80 percent killer personally i think it's generally very high quality for me it's probably my third favorite shikari record as we're speaking yeah uh i I, my favorite shikari have lots of different moods and lots of different kind of sides to what they do And, and as we've said as we both agree definitely some of them are really successful. Some of them really aren't. My favourite Shikari is when they marry heavy guitars with that wub 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 thing. With with them being bonkers. So to name a few songs, Slipshod, Zonked, Hoodwinker, Anethetist, Gandhi Make Gandhi, There's a Price on Your Head. You know, they're not really doing that here. Um, there are not there are heavy guitars on this record, but they're certainly not the focus. Um, I think one thing that I have not one genre that I have not stated that Shikari are doing on this record is metal. And I think in the past they were doing metal stuff, but I don't think there's any metal on this record at all. There's heavy guitars, no. but there ain't any metal on it. Um, but I, th- I like the fact that Shikari have released a record that is a side of them that I haven't really liked in the past, but I think this is the most successful version of that side of Shikari that they've released so mm. far. 
I mean, I've not really listened to much of their. I I couldn't tell you what's on Common Dreads and what's on a Flash Flood of Color. Like mm. I I couldn't tell you that. I know I have listened to those albums in the past. I listened to the Spark and uh, um, the the other one, the other one you were talking about, the Mind Sweep. Ago. What was it? The Mind Sweep. Um, probably more than I listened to anything else I've done, to be honest, because of you know having to listen to them really. Uh, but I think this is probably. Yeah, it's as good as the Mind Sweep, um, and it's better than the Spark. I'll say that. Uh, I don't think it's as good as the Mind Sweep, personally. I think the Mind okay. Sweep. I do prefer. I think the Mind Sweep is better, but I, but I don't think it's miles off. Mm. If you were marking out of ten, Renfrey, what would you give it? Just out of interest. Uh, this is one of those records where I, which I would find really difficult to score. But as you've put me on the spot, I'm going to say, I will say in a second, Shikari records are difficult to score because they hit and they miss. All of them hit and miss so much. So they are hard to score. I'm going to say eight. Okay. That's quite a good Yeah, quite a good it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good score. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like it's not really, they're just not a band that I, I'm, I, I'm never going to get them. They're not for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm never, I'm just never going to get them. But like I say, you do have to like, you know, I, I wish more bands, I wish more bands would, would take risks. And I think it's always worth pointing out that a band does take a risk when they do. And to have the bravery to swing, you know, I say all the time, you got to jump to land and there's a lot of jumps on this. Yeah. Um, I think they probably dislocated both their ankles from the landing <laughs> on quite a bit of it. But you know, uh, it, it, you know, at least they are, tr- you know, trying to do something with, you know, like a genre that is fucking basically fucking rubbish, like the Claxons and Harduken and all that stuff. When that happened, if you'd have told me fifteen years ago that Enter Shikari would still be around and people would still give a shit about them, they'd be in arenas. I would have laughed in your face because that whole scene was made to just fizzle out into nothing. It yeah, was, it was it was a crap, and I do have a little bit of residual like, oh god, that whole scene is so fucking crap. Um, I think it. I think they moved away from that stuff years pretty ago, quickly. Though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would only put the first two records into that into that. Yeah, genre but I'm that you're talking about really. But what I'm saying is, if you'd have told me then that, that they, they yeah, had end, yeah. that they would be here now, yeah. I definitely wouldn't have believed you. So well done for them for doing that. And as I said, you know, every time I read anything by them, every time I hear what they've been doing, I was go, that's really good. And like you say, they run themselves as a very DIY thing. It actually got me thinking though, Renfrey, and I hate to end uh, this review on this, but it's as a side note, those people who can't, who refuse to separate the art from the artist, for me, this is why... <laughs> You end up not listening to Pantera or the Beatles or Brand New, but you do end up listening to Ent Shikari. So, you know, <laughs> if you're happy for music to be shit because it makes you feel superior to people, the new Ent Shikari album is oh, out. Oh yeah, now. yeah, but okay. It's but, called But this this record you said you said earlier in the review, the rec- this record isn't shit. You can't call it shit. No, 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 it's no no, it's no no, it's it's not It's shit. not for you. Uh, it's not for you. No, and no, it does and it doesn't it doesn't it's not always brilliant, but but when it is, it's really good and it's often very good. Mm. 
Yeah, I just thought I'd, I just thought I'd add that in as a like. So this is the problem with when you refuse to do with it. Like when you're like, I'm not listening to that anymore because I don't like the people. When you get a band who are really really nice, you go, oh, what good guys! I'm going to make sure I listen to them. And then you listen to it and you're like, ah, I, uh, this just made me want to listen to like the Great Southern Trainkill afterwards. And I don't care what Phil's done. <laughs> Makes me go, it's all right, Phil. You're all right. You're all right in my book. I mean, um, you know, Great Southern Trend Kills a brilliant record. I'm completely nothing different to this, but yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on. That is Enter Shikari's Every, Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. Uh, let's move on to something else. Something very, very different indeed. This is the brand new record from Aranzi Pazuzu. I'm going to give it a go at uh, actually pronouncing Mestarin Kinsey is what I think it's called. Well done. I've no I think idea. so. Yeah. Um, it means seen... the master's claw. Ooh, does it now? Ooh. Well, that seems quite apt. Yes. Um, it's the fifth album by the Finnish psychedelic psychedelic black metal band, the follow-up to 2016's, uh, again, Vahajeva. <laughs> I don't think you did that one as well, but well done I did that trying. one so well. No, no, but sorry, we're not talking about that album anyway, so fuck <laughs> it. Um, now, <clears throat> I don't know so much about this band other than they've got a wacky name and my good friend Tom Dare, who is usually very good at knowing shit from the underground, told me about how much he loved them and I listened to that record based on his suggestion and I, uh, I remember it kind of made me feel a bit sick. It basically weirded me out quite a lot and... Mm, um, mm. Uh, but I do remember thinking there's definitely something very unique about this band, although oh God, I didn't yeah. really dip back into their back catalogue. Um, Renfrey, Aranzi Pazuzu. So you. I was introduced to Aranzi Pazuzu at, I believe it was my first road burn, uh, which would be four years ago now. Um, and uh, I mean, they are such a road burn band um those who've been to roadburn will know what i'm talking about but they they just experimental completely odd um not to everyone's taste but those who do love that kind of thing really love that kind of thing um you describe them as a psychedelic black metal band i think that is not inaccurate um i would also uh, add shamanic i think the word shamanic is relatively important when discussing Aranzi Pazuzu. And, yep. and also, I totally agree with the black metal thing. And yet there are so many characteristics of black metal which are just not present on Aranzi Pazuzu. It is a weird mm. one. I don't I don't think black metal is the wrong thing to say, but I also think it 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 brings up um the wrong idea in some respects so for example there is a complete absence of blast beats on this record a uh, complete absence of tremolo picking as far as i'm aware i think and instead what do we have instead goodness uh hypnotic um repetitive to a degree but in a good way hypnotic kind of trance-like uh, psychedelic space rock which is performed in a really heavy way a vocalist who sounds like uh he's exorcising a demon in most of his um uh, uh vocals um they are a as far as i'm aware completely totally unique band um 
we did review i should probably mention that we reviewed waste of space uh, orchestra's debut album last year yes which yeah, is yeah. a which is a super group made up of members of uh aranzi bazuzu and dark but arising mm-hmm. and um you know that has that covers, was quite a difficult record as well yeah that covers similar territory um but aranzi bazuzu are a band who i fucking love very very difficult to get into to be honest i remember i used to describe them as black metal goes to the circus um i kind of feel like in retrospect and i sort of described them as that um when i first saw them because i felt like i was so i just didn't have the words to describe who this band are and how they sound and what they do i still don't feel like i have that but i also feel like black metal goes to the circus gives too much of an impression that maybe they're wacky and wacky is definitely not correct so i've sort of stopped using that comparison even though i don't think it's entirely inaccurate do you understand yeah, where i'm coming no, from with that i do yes yeah i think what we should have said before you went on that massive oh sorry thing yeah. was uh was that they are now amazingly on nuclear blast records, i know i know which is really big and i think that is a hell of an achievement yeah, um wonderful news yes explaining what this record is particularly to your common or garden i guess nuclear blast uh, fan of nuclear blast bands the kind of <laughs> who else is on nuclear blast uh trivium lamb of god yeah. testament uh diet is murder yeah. uh you know they've got some, they've got some really good band nightwish they've got some great bands on, on nuclear blast and they're and really nice to us so and, and nightwish <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> so um you know we're not saying anything like uh uh-huh, look at your shit roster or anything no 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 no, no, no not at all, not at all. but not what all. but what i would say is that this is seems very different from the majority of things that they put out it reminds th- me of when they sign nails mm, a little bit is mm. in like where does this come from oh i mean i mean Yes, but but even uh, Nails is way more... Uh, sorry, Aranzi Pazuzu is way more obtuse than this. I do understand where you're coming from, but yeah. Nuclear... Uh, they they are undoubtedly... Well, they must be the weirdest band on Nuclear Blast's roster okay, in now. In the world, then. They're probably one of the weirdest bands in the world, yeah. Well, they um, may well be, yeah. Yeah, mm, they are yeah. pretty out there, you know. We're talking, we're talking like Mike Patton side projects levels of weird here like mm. like his weirdest stuff it's it's pretty unique sounding although i don't want to put people off this record uh no because, because let's just say this Remfrey. Yeah, yeah, what an insanely gripping record this is yeah it's fucking brilliant gripping full of drama high drama um full of just bewildering soundscapes um full of surprises and shocks and dynamics and twists and turns mm-hmm. and like you're being i think like our, our friend uh merlin alderslade of metal hammer magazine our, mm-hmm. uh, the editor of metal hammer described it to me today as being sucked into a black hole vortex and just swirled around and i said yep. just before we started um there was a little chat before we started recording today that we were thinking about maybe putting this as the lead review above enter shikari because i mean we've put it above the black dahlia murder who are a far more sizable band definitely in bigger ways, band yep. to uh to her anti-pazuzu um obviously and shikari are a far 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 bigger band but there was chat about us maybe potentially putting this as the lead review just because of the the quality of the record and i said the problem with that is is i don't really have much to say about it other than fucking hell like because you listen to it and you are sucked into it and you are spat out of it mm, mm. do you know what i mean i feel like 
it goes in your ear and it swirls around in your brain and it's it, it's got that ability is one of those rare records where you're kind of transported to somewhere completely different to where you are. Like I said, it's a lovely sunny day outside today. I put this on earlier and it was like being kind of covered in a blanket of nihilism, a black <laughs> blanket of nihilism. And, you know, it just completely, it changes, you know, I say it all the time about albums that can change the molecules in the air around you. And this record absolutely does that. I think picking just one thing from it and or picking out parts from it is nigh and impossible because it feels like this feels cohesive to me. This feels like a piece of music that needs to be ingested in one sitting. Yeah. I can't imagine going like, Oh, I want to listen to that song. Do you know, do you know what I mean? And then taking it out. Again, can't, but can't argue with that. And if, if you're talking mm. about what, what is more cohesive, this album or the Shikari album. Yeah. I mean, I've got to give it to Pazuzu. Definitely. Mm. Um, I feel like I can probably pick out I, I feel like because I've had more time with this band overall, this is this the only Aranzi Pazuzu record you've heard, did you say? Or no, no, I heard the last one. I heard Varejeta. Okay, okay. I've heard the last three. Um so I have a bit more kind of understanding of what they do. To be totally honest, this record is going to get far more um, press than uh, their other records. I think purely because it's on Nuclear Blast. If I'm totally honest, it's not massively miles away from what they've done in the past. I think in terms of quality or in terms of the actual sound of the record or anything like that. Um, but Aranzi Bazuzu get a pass because they literally sound like no one else. Um, yeah, you know, thing, so so. Th that's not meant as a criticism at all um i mean to go into individual tracks oh god i d i'm scared to do this because i'm not even going to be able to pronounce them but um to hide sacramenti you just tell me what track that is i think track two oh right <laughs> um, okay, good. Track spends, two do. spends around yeah. three hypnotic minutes like building around this clean picked swirling guitar riff before the entire band erupts into a sound that basically sounds like it's splitting the universe in two. And then at the, I think around the six minute mark, everything cuts out bar the guitar and it, the guitar comes in with this dirty riff. It's fucking, it's like, like it's such, it's a build to a long time. It, you know, it, you have to have patience to, enjoy a record like this but this is a classic example of um a record rewarding your patience you know um and you know I, I was, i'm saying there how like it takes sort of six seven minutes for this track to build it's not like that those six or seven minutes you're just bored and waiting for something to happen it lures you in it's like a siren this record it lures you in before slapping you around the face um it is i mean it's just absolutely magical this album magical mm. shamanic as i said um the track three um Usi Tekunokaraktai. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know Close why enough. i don't know why i'm doing that accent doing it in a japanese accent <laughs> <laughs> yes well, my apologies um is kind of it's the centerpiece of the album it's 10 minutes and 20 seconds the main riff is played on a flute how many black metal bands play their main riff on a flute? Not many. I mean, Ishan's probably done it at some point, 
I imagine. Um, but you know, like, I mean, it's weirdly that that song weirdly reminded me of the Mars Volta. You know, and there's a lot. Yeah, of, oh fucking hell, yeah, they're, they've got massive like Mars Volta vibe. To there them. are actually massive. It, it, you know, to some people, it's going to be quite a weird comparison because I wouldn't say that Aranzi uh, Pazuzu and the Mars Volta are sound alike but then certainly in terms of their ex- the, the way that they experiment and their uh I, 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 th- there are definitely comparisons I, I mean weirdly there's a bass riff around the seven minute uh mark of that song which sounds incredibly similar to a bass part on the um the the 35 minute song on um francis the mute uh which is just an aside really but you know this track just builds and builds and then and then it cuts out and there's just like a a a litany of female voices sort of um singing and again drawing you in before the whole thing goes ballistic again i mean it's absolutely astonishing it's an astonishing i think the mars volta comparison on that track particularly is a really good one and you're right people might not necessarily straight away go hold on this doesn't sound like a kind of (laughs) you know salsa prog punk but in terms of the the sort of the way they make you feel and the type of music the way they kind of veer around it is very very similar i actually was going to bring up the track five which is kulin and la man alta there we go probably one of the easy ones to pronounce um which they almost to me they dipped into this kind of apocalyptic post-punk melodic 80s goth parts that i fucking love which i you know again that is not completely alien to black metal but it's not done in the sort of way that that is that is done there is um there's a kind of a horn that to me is it's obviously a sort of kind of synth horn that comes in and out that has a beat behind it and it's fucking magic that is it sounds so dark and threatening and you know, I mean, obviously, black metal, like I say, been using behemoth. Obviously, been using horns quite a lot over the last sort of. Um, well, I mean, on the Satanist, there was a sort of that that horn section. That everyone went, "Oh my god, like, this sounds amazing!" Yeah, um, but this is different, isn't it? It's and not this is definitely different. Yeah, it's, it's used in a very, like I say, it almost sounds like something that Killing Joke or mm. Joy Division or Bauhaus would do. Do you know what I mean? It's it's got that kind of feel to it. But then when you get the like. Yeah, vocals over top of it very accurate again really thank you (laughs) it really changes it um killing jokes some people have said to me that's never occurred to me but yeah um some people said this reminds me of swans and again i can kind of definitely see that especially in the hypnotic nature of it um yeah yeah i can see the swans comparison Mm, yeah that industrial swirling bass brooding spirit um i think this is more metal than swans like more kind of most definitely ultimately like it's more metal and mainly because of the vocals really but also there's touches of it where it even reminded me of like new model by perturbator um and it just sounds more you know it sounds more european than swans as well Mm -hmm. i think yeah but if you like swans and their ilk then i think again if you like swans or killing joke or mars volta and you like the way those bands make you feel, this does all of that. Um, in yep. a, Not the same way as those bands do, but on occasions in very similar ways to the ways that those bands do it. And yeah, 
I think it's fucking brilliant. This record. Fucking yeah, agreed. Brilliant. A lot of um, uh, there's you know, funnily enough, something I noticed with the releases this week generally, uh, and there are a couple of outliers, but there's quite a few releases this week that are very, very difficult to describe. Um, uh, this and the two EPs that we're going to cover later in the show, I would say. Are, are tricky records to describe because they're bringing in so many different elements from so many different places um and really i feel like that that's the sort of music that we really want to champion on on here isn't it you know because yeah for sure it's often music which is sort of um a lot a, a lot of journalists you know this isn't true in every uh in every facet of music journalism but there are a lot of music journalists who don't cover this stuff specifically because it's extraordinarily difficult to put into words what what it is like and what it, you know this is a far harder record to review than i don't know well we're about to do black dahlia murder which is a piece of piss yeah, to review. black dahlia murder yeah, yeah yeah which you know is 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 far easier to to review and to explain what it is aranzi pazuzu all the things that we're saying none of them are incorrect although truthfully you're not going to get an idea of what this record sounds like unless you listen to it but i think we both implore you to listen to it um it isn't going to be for everyone i think we should probably stress as well yes probably but not fuck me it's good it's great um to yeah. be honest all of the records are i mean i i don't think this is any better or any worse than the previous two records either but mm. you know they're all fantastic um well there you go. I think it's definitely uh, worth you checking out just to see what you think about it, whoever Absolutely. you are. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that is Mestarin Kinsey by Aranzi Pazuzu, and it is out now. As Renfrey said, we move on. Black Dahlia Murder is where we go next, as Renfrey mentioned. Their new album is called Verminous. It is the ninth album from the long-standing melodic death metal um, masters, the follow-up to 2017's career best Nightbringer record um nightbringers plural nightbringers, I say, yeah, record yeah, yeah. uh the black darling murder have been insanely consistent over the years at delivering head bobbing driving catchy danceable death metal um i really as i said i really love nightbringers i thought it was probably the best record of their career added a big old dollop of that cannibal corpse stompy stompy riffing to it sounded glorious uh remfrey mm-hmm. given as the black dahlia murder are basically a death metal band who do death metal every time uh they release a new album mm-hmm. uh, i'm guessing that you've grown tired at, at best grown tired of them uh you guess absolutely correct um doesn't come as a massive surprise to hear does it that i'm not a massive black dahlia murder fan what might come as a surprise is i do actually own three of their records uh because when um people really started i think it was around ritual that people started really going this band are fucking great you should check them out so uh, i do actually own ritual ever black and nightbringers um all of which i think are you know very competently played decent death metal um it's interesting that you say there that Nightbringers is clearly the best album of their career. I honestly could not tell the difference between those three <laughs> records at all. I think they're all absolutely fine at what they do. I, I think, no, I think they're all very good at what they do. Um, mm. But it, it's not something I'm massively interested in. And, you know, to me, this is um, the ninth album in that series of, you know, it's just... Same, it's right? more of the same <laughs> i mean i guess you same. know <laughs> i guess you know the black Dahlia. you know what you're going to get from the black Dahlia murder these days 
Um, and I think we've spoken before about the sort of bands that do the same stroke, similar thing over and over and over and over again. ACDC, Motorhead, Ramones, mm-hmm. you know, those mm-hmm. would be the good ones. Uh, and then there are times where not so good bands do it. I can't think of any off the top of my head because why would you even remember them? Um, but yes, I think the Black Dahlia Murder, what they have done for me is I think um, they've been, become consistently better at writing songs over the years uh they've learned how to get the kind of balance of groovy bits stompy bits fast manic bits thrashier bits and um and turn them into coherent songs and put them within the coherent frame of a record um more and more and more and more over the years and i think they've been getting better and better and better and better to the point where i genuinely do think nightbringers as i said is their best record so i guess um it's undeniable that if you carry on doing that uh one day the album after is not going to be as good when you get getting better and better and better at doing mm-hmm. one very specific type of thing mm-hmm. ultimately the day will come where you peak where where you peak and verminous is a is another very good black dali murder record very good black dali murder record i think it's got some really wicked things on it i think the title track and godlessly as an opening one two are really wild and manic great um removal of the oaken stake has got this kind of old school proper old school metal vibes on it's really catchy head banging lovely stuff but i think it's undeniable to my ears anyway that this is a bit of a step down in quality from the from the last record okay um yeah i mean look I wouldn't ever dream of saying that the Black Dahlia Murder are a quote-unquote bad band. I think that would be a really unfair, not very good critique. They are clearly very good at what they do, right? Um, I think for me, when I listen to bands like this, though, I personally cannot understand the mentality of why you would choose to be in a band that changes so little over the course of nine albums and 17 years. I mean, the incremental changes between records are baby steps, aren't they, really? I mean, yeah, let's be honest. I put this, you know, I put this in for you, Steve, because I know you really like them, but if... Didn't have to put it in, I would have demanded it be in here anyway. Okay, so, you know, interesting. don't worry about it. I mean, <laughs> no, if I... I really like a Black Dahlia. If I weren't if I weren't considering your view or your opinion at all, I would have swapped this out for something far more interesting because to me this record there's not an awful lot to say about it other than it's You're just talking about another... Danzig's record, aren't you? <laughs> well, Danzig sings Elvis is clearly gonna be more interesting than this. I mean, I will put my hands up and say it's probably worse, but it'll be more interesting because this is just another Black Dahlia record murder, isn't uh, uh, murder record, isn't it? I mean it's just shy of 36 minutes, so it's not very long. Um, hmm. uh, but to be honest with you, I still get bored of it by the end because the parameters are just so fucking narrow. Um, you know, I, I mean, in fact, the first time I listened to this album, I didn't pay all that much attention to the track listing and where it was because I was trying to honestly figure out what is the point. Because I, I predicted that I would get bored of it before the end. And I was like, what is the point where I get bored of it? And it came in at around the end of track five, which is just shy of 20 minutes. And that's the point where I'm like, you really need to start some 
thinking about doing something different um at this point in the record but it never ever it just refuses to budge from its extremely narrow parameters and you know there are some things on this album that i think are absolutely baffling and i think one thing that sort of sums it up for me there's an interlude track on this album and it's track nine of a 10 track album right yeah and you have to ask yourself why are you even including that do you even understand the purpose of an interlude track because they clearly don't if it's if it's track nine of a 10 track album it's almost as if they've put an interlude track on there because they've seen some of their contemporaries put interlude tracks on their records and they've gone oh well that's that's what you do isn't it right but that to me is a very sort of herd mentality you know and excuse mm, me if this sounds yeah. excuse me if this sounds a little bit like old man shouts at cloud but i always thought that metal music was about not following the pack about not being a mindless sheep and about thinking for yourself and making your own path so it's ironic don't you think that 50 years after the genre was invented we literally have thousands of metal bands who all sound the fucking same and i'm just fucking bored of it it's boring this re uh, this record is one of the dullest records we've reviewed all year i think it's it's a complete and and just and that you know it might sound like a really tiny thing to pick up on like what you're talking about an interlude track nine tracks into a 10 track record but that is exactly that is that sums up exactly what i think is just mindlessly dull and bored it's like why do they even bother they're just it's just a cycle it's just going over the same <laughs> shit. It's just fucking boring. And you know what? Like, oh, fucking hell. I'm ranting. I'm sorry. Um, no, oh, go on, fuck go it. On. No, I'm going to rant. Um, I've not seen the new Metal Hammer. What have they given this? I bet it's like eight out of ten. I'm I, guessing. Don't, I, I don't know. I bet I don't it know is. If it's been reviewed yet. I bet it is. And that is fucking nonsense. Like, this is a five at best. It's apps. It's because it's the say like you can hear this a thousand times over and over again and you know it's done to a relatively decent quality they're not the best at it they're certainly not the worst but just the lack of imagination the lack of any kind of new forward thinking creative ideas or anything like that it's almost as if we've got to a point where people like some critics will just say huh they can play their instruments eight out of ten I don't want to live in a world where we're giving rec records eight out of 10 just because a band can play their instruments competently. I don't see anything like it's fine. This is the epitome of fine. So <laughs> talking about, um, you know, <laughs> not getting out of it's a weird one, isn't it? Because obviously I think the Black Dahlia murder are staying within a lane that they know how to operate within. And uh, I mean, for a kind of al alternative view of this is if you really like death metal, you say they don't do it the best. I mean, for a modern band, they probably do do it as well as any modern band, to be honest. Child of the Night is gets is, is like a fast one. And it also goes E-I-E-I, -E -I, which I like a bit like old, old McDonald. Um, mm. It's a big fuck off riff. So it's a kind of killer chugger on the leather apron scorn, which is good. I think it's consistently like 
makes me want to do that to sort of nod my head around and yes that you know you can go like oh icarus you know do not why doth thou fly so close to the sun you <laughs> you want to make stephen hill nod his head a little bit um so i and i i totally agree and i take on board every single thing that you said and mm. you know i kind of i do agree theoretically i do agree with it but having just spoken about shikari like swinging and missing a lot and how we should praise bands for doing that i think actually the black dahlia murder are a a fucking good death metal band and when you talk about you know some metal bands need to go away i agree with you i just don't think it's the black dahlia murder i think black dahlia murder are what they are do you know what I mean? I think they do this type of music and I don't really think they could do anything else. Now you can go, oh, well, you know, then get the fuck out of town and blah, blah, blah. But not every single band is going to be a band who push the envelope of metal forward. I probably would buy or listen to or gravitate towards like one or two death metal albums a year, right? Mm. And if the Black Dahlia Murder have got an album out, their album will probably be, be one, one of, of the, the two. ones yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> in that respect although i agree broadly about metal everything you're talking about i still think there is room in the world for bands who just do that kind of old school classic thing i like like i like havoc the thrash mm-hmm. metal band havoc mm-hmm. havoc you know what what new can you do with thrash metal fucking nothing really mm. but you know and especially havoc don't even try to but I still think they're good and I still think they write good songs. And I think there are five or six really, really good songs on this record out of 10. And you've got one interlude track. There's a couple of like ones that aren't, that don't jump out as me as much as, you know, some of the other stuff did. I would say like, I mean, uh, what was the one that I was like, like Sunless Empire was one that I was like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sunless Empire, right. I believe Sunless Empire is the point where I was like, I want this to change now. I'm getting bored. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's not the best one. Um, and yes, do I need this record? No, no, I don't really need it. Will I go back to it? Uh, I mean, I'll go back to the Black Dahlia murder. Sure. And I want to listen to some death metal for sure. I mm-hmm. definitely will. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, I think they have. They have. De- there's. N- it's not a kind of insult for coming from me. I don't think to say that you've peaked because I think the last album was was great. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? And it's thirty minutes long. I, you know, uh, they don't have much ambition to be, or they don't really have any ambition to be. And yes, you could go. Well, why are we doing this? But I guess at this point, it's it's their job. They've made a good career out of it. People like the Black Dahlia Murder, um, and they like this type of music. It's no real different from. I don't know the Foo Fighters or something like that. You know, putting an album out. There's two new. There's two good songs that they play live from each album. Like you get nine albums in. It's very difficult. Most bands get nine albums in and they've run out of ideas. Let's be honest. Eighty percent of bands run out. If if they get to a ninth album, you're not talking about the best thing they've ever done. Whether that's fucking mm. Black Sabbath or oasis or you know um bob dylan as we'll talk about in a little bit um although ironically bob dylan's ninth album is, is very good uh but you know what i mean like it's, it's difficult to get nine albums into your career and to reinvent yourself again and and that's what makes the best bands the best bands because they can do that but they're rare they're very rare no you're you're, you're absolutely right i just i just think there is a weird irony when as I said, to me, metal is about standing out from the pack and about kind of, you know, 
most people sort of look at metal and go, oh, why would you listen to that? Whereas metal heads embrace it because they're looking at things in a different way and in a different light. And then when you get... We, we because because the genre is 50 years old we have so many metal bands now who are doing what seems to be the total anth- antithesis of the reason i got into metal in the first place personally um and i i guess it's really frustrating you know it's, it, it yeah. really frustrates me i know but, a lot of people will lap this up i get it but but in the in the defense of the black dahlia murder in that case though mm. is that they may not do that on record but they definitely do it in other areas you know they are famous that you know they're getting people at their in their shows they were the first band to cut to try and make death metal fun you know they'd be mm-hmm, having mm-hmm. blow up like sort of um what they called when you put blow air into a plastic thing inflatables like having inflatables <laughs> on stage and and waving yeah, your arms got, and you know they played they they've played got all their funny of, they've got all their funny videos as well and stuff i yeah, do they i do appreciate a few years ago i do appreciate that but you know in terms of taking i, I don't think that's that within this genre that's seen as a really bold development and I'm here to tell you <laughs> yeah, that it's not. That's that's the depressing thing. That's seen as like, whoa, they're making a funny video. That's really like, you know, compared to what Shikari are doing on that record, whether you like it or not, it's nowhere near as bold as the things that, that Shikari are doing, you know? No, no, which is which is true. which is why I I give Shikari a pass a lot of the time, because I'm like, hey, you don't always hit it, but at least you're fucking trying. And I would much rather personally i would much rather uh listen to a record that or a band who are trying to do something different than a band who are just nonchalantly shitting out the same thing over and over again like and that's just what black dahlia do and it's fine and you know look if i saw black dahlia murder live i'd probably quite enjoy myself to an extent um, because I like loud guitars, I like shouty um, death metal vocals, you know, and Black Dahlia do this stuff well. But I just feel like as a as a th- there are a lot of there are a lot of metal critics who just give this sort of thing a pass and like, yeah, great. Oh, this is a really good album. And it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. Open your fucking horizons just a little bit. It's not. It's it's complete. This is the epitome of a five out of ten for me. Well, look, Renfrey, everything you've just said, I agree with in theory. But mm. point your gun at someone else and not the Black Dahlia murder is all I'm going to say because mm. there are cattle decapitation. They... <laughs> no, no, don't point it at them either. <laughs> Let's leave them alone now. But I mean, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I, I mean, what's yeah? I suppose you know, I'm. It feels like I've been way more positive about this record than you. Um, but yeah, but Cattle Capitation are a, a definitely more interesting band musically than the Black Dahlia Murder. Yeah, for I sure. They, well, they just, absolutely just, are. Just the fact they have Travis Ryan makes them more interesting, full stop. Yeah, so um, they definitely are. But hey, do you know what? I've never really thought of the Black Dahlia Murder as, you know, I, I hope they push forward the boundaries of metal. They just seem like five dudes who fucking love death metal and uh, managed to replicate all the kind of best bits from it in a really, really wicked way. Yeah. And, and, uh, some people, and their shows are really good fun. And, and some and people that, might go, what's wrong with that? And, mm. and I personally would go everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's okay. This is a good look. This is a good um, black tie. Why is my mate is obsessed with phoning me when you and I are doing a podcast? Ob- absolutely obsessed. Obsessed. Oh dear. Anyway, I'm going to have to decline <laughs> that. Like, it's, Maybe like, it's the Black just, Dahlia like, murder calling. Well, I'm going, thank you for sticking up for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, Black Dahlia murder, Verminous is out now. Uh, the next album, now this is more what you're talking about, isn't it, Renfrey? Fuck yes. Sugar Horse, Drugs, the second EP from this Bristolian Angular. What are they, a hardcore band? What, what is this? What is this? Exactly. Another record which is incredibly difficult to describe. Um, they refer to themselves as Doom Gaze. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but they are unafraid to do... Uh, God, God, what does this band sound like? I often, see, I often see people say that Shoegaze is boring. Right. I think this band have a lot of shoegaze elements in them. I would say to anyone that thinks that shoegaze is boring to listen to this and um, it would shut them up pretty quickly because. Well, well, hold on. Uh, this isn't shoegaze, though. That's the problem. There are elements of shoegaze in this. But if you said uh, you think shoegaze is boring, listen to this. They go, this is not shoegaze at all. What I think about? I this think is... there are whole sections where it does sound yeah. shoegazy. Long, yeah, whole yeah, long sections where yeah. it does but then they'd go yeah this is really good and, f- and then five minutes later it completely changed yeah 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 and they'd does. go yeah, yeah, yeah. this is not what you told me it was going to be at all no so true, true. i'd be slightly like loath to start out by going hey you shoegaze hater we've we, we found the thing that is gonna <laughs> change your mind this ain't it uh, this ain't it at all, all right like, fine but okay uh, because let's... it's too because it's too much other shit going on well let's take okay so a song like pity party Sounds like a song by The Cure, but played through Neurosis guitar rig. Yeah. And if that doesn't excite you, you're listening to the wrong podcast. It's, it, uh, this is fucking weird. I mean, the title track, mm-hmm. um, which spends about three minutes just being heavy as fuck. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, here we go. It's another heavy as fuck band. Great. Like, because it's got that... Um, as I always, you know, sort of say, I roll over and let my belly get tickled by any mm-hmm, band mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. rip off Entombed. And there's a bit of that kind of squalling, a bit like Leeched or whatever. It's he- yeah. just really, really heavy. It's so and then heavy. It ju- and then it just drops out. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean it drops out for a second or even 10 seconds, but it drops out for what feels like minutes to the point where I was like, is my, what's going, have I dropped mm-hmm. my internet fucked up or something? Mm-hmm. And... And then it slowly, you just hear a little bit and then it comes back, back, back. And then it bashes your fucking skull in <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Dynamics. And I, and I and I went, well, that's taking what Code Orange did, the cut really quickly mm. and doing the flip of it, which is letting it breathe, just be silent for fucking ages. Mm. And mm. it's got the same level of, hey, what the, what's actually going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and straight away, I was like, oh, that's bull- that on the first track. It's ballsy. To just have like a minute of silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mental. Um, I mean, as I say, this band sort of self-described themselves as Doomgaze. Uh, Doom is 
generally not my cup of tea because uh, it does tend to bore me a little bit. But the reason why this doesn't, I would never, ever describe Sugar Horse as a straight ahead doom band at all. Um, I think describing them as any genre is a bit of a waste of time because they do whatever the fuck they want to do. Um, but um, when this when this is doomy, it also has a shimmering intensity and lushness to the guitars, which is very reminiscent of The Cure or, hey, lots of shoegaze bands. Um, so um, they always have several elements coming in at once. But, you know, I mean, I described one of the songs sounding like The Cure and Neurosis. We're talking about a band who have yeah. a very wide palette of influence. Then you get to like track four, which might be my favourite song on the record, if you listen to track four in isolation, you might view, you might say they're an indie band. What when September rain? When September rain, yeah, it has yeah. big, um, big ocean size vibes. That's, that song. That's my favourite one on it. And that's you know who it sounds brilliant. like? Mm-hmm. It sounds like Depeche Mode. Ah, okay. It sounds like gothic, like mid eighties Depeche Mode. And if you'd have told me two minutes into the EP in 15 minutes you're gonna think this sounds like Depeche Mode I would never have expected that in a million million years no exactly I mean I almost thought I'd again I'd skipped on to a completely different band and that also stops and comes back in but then they give you an even bigger sort of crescendo of oh yeah what you've been listening to and it's again just really 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 excellent yeah, it's so this beautiful. Is very, very good. I think the Depeche Mode um, uh, uh, comparison is great. Um, as I said, I think it has big ocean size vibes. It particularly reminds me of a song like Music for a Nurse or from the album that I gave you, there's a song called Women Who Love Men Who Love Drugs, uh, which is it, basically a very elongated, uh, slow building song with lots and lots and lots of atmosphere. Um, and yeah, that Depeche Mode thing is definitely accurate. I mean, it's an eight minute song. Um, it doesn't feel like it, but it but it, it, is, it, yeah. it is basically eight minutes long. And it's so refreshing to hear a heavy band, and they most definitely are a heavy band, who aren't afraid to turn on a dime and be melodic and pretty for for eight minutes of of a 30 minute ep you know um and i mean that's not the only part where they sound pretty there's the brilliantly titled richard branson in the sky with diamonds has lots of sort of lush um instrumentation and and um and and again these sort of shimmering guitars and this is just a band that you never know where they're going to go next. Um, they were, I mean, sadly, before everything got cancelled slash postponed, they were going to be opening for Black Peaks on um, on their latest tour. It was going to be Sugar Horse, St. Pierre, Snake Invasion and Black Peaks, which probably would have been yeah, I saw that. one of the best lineups of the year, I think. Um, yeah. I, well, A, this is my favourite release of the week. And in a week where we have Aranzi Pazuzu, that's saying something pretty mm. astonishing. And B, I, I, I kind of know that this band won't get as massive as I want them to get because they're too obtuse and weird. But you know, at the time at the time that I recorded that at the time that we recorded this review. I believe they have 
730, 740 likes on Facebook, something like that. Yeah. Please, everyone listening, please go out and listen to this band and just like their page. <laughs> like they deserve, they, they are by far the smallest band we're covering this week. And, you know, they are also one of the newest, but they deserve, in fact, they, they must be the newest, I would assume. But they really deserve to be listened to and they are quite unlike anything that you'll ever hear uh i've ever heard before or again uh, again like aranzi pazuzu they're not going to be for everyone although i think potentially more people could get behind could this. be for a lot of people yeah, yeah that more people could get behind this than aranzi pazuzu because aranzi pazuzu are particularly fucking weird um and yeah i mean if this is if this is their second ep i just i the idea of this band releasing a, a full full length album it's yeah, really it quite amazing fucking exciting i think they're brilliant they're very much a band mm. that i want to pin uh right right act seal of approval to because yeah, i think they're sure. fucking Me amazing too. i mean the fact that it ends with this squealing squalling wall of sort of feedback drenched song called dog egg which then also mm. just stops again mm. and gives you this kind of like lausch um, little acid jazz section just shows yeah. how tight their grasp of dynamics is. Uh, it's really good. This, yeah, it's really good. They're pretty. I mean, it's seriously good. It's guys, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's like to, to I, I. This is a really good week. Like even putting aside Black Dahlia murder and and fuck it, let's put Shikari aside. It's still a fucking great week. And so to give this my my favorite release of the week is is a hell of a thing because aranzi bazuzu is amazing and you know you should actually absolutely you should check that record out but this is just something else i fucking mm. love it yeah it's really good it's a bit of us mm, just a bit so there you yeah. go drugs is the name of the ep the band are called sugar horse um do go and check them out because they are very very good and that leaves us with one more ep to talk about which comes from wildcat strike it's the mustard colored years the third ep from the brighton based post indie post punk band we've kind of reviewed both of their previous efforts i believe on this show before uh, i think uh, we only we... i think we only reviewed their debut album but yeah yeah we've we've we discussed okay. them before absolutely yes um i'm um, regular listeners will know that i am very fucking keen on this band i fucking yeah. love them um, you really do like them a lot their debut um, album was my 15th favorite album of the year in 2018 that's right uh and this is another i quite like i like them as well i think yeah i, I think like you like them. them i've not listened to them so much uh, actually in the interim but i did like them and this is another good effort from them i think it's only 15 minutes long so there's not loads yep. and loads and loads to talk about although the fact that it reminds me of both arcade fire and sorority noise at various points i'd say can only be a good thing um just to kind of go through it very very quickly for me i think they are at their best when they take their time and stretch everything out and let it breathe ergo swamp swamp the fourth yep. song on it yep. is the best song on a, a a pretty good ep i would say i yes um i really like the one two hit of uh is it tooth cutter as well i think part two tooth cutter, cutter, yeah part one and part two i really really like um i mean yeah for the uninitiated wildcat strike share a lot of characteristics with those it's really interesting, like, 
hearing people try to describe this band i've not yet once found a description of them when people compare them to other bands um that sounds alike so i've heard them compared to manic street preachers um i've heard them be compared to like mass rock bands like ttng um I would say they are kind of a hybrid of those early emo bands before the term emo actually really existed, uh, like Braid or Texas is the Reason on Sunnydale Real Estate, Mm -hmm. married to Mm -hmm. the dynamic power of a band like Explosions in the Sky. Um, Mm. But then at the same time, they don't really sound like either of those bands either. I think there's a little... I think there's a... Go on. I'd like to add in a little bit of um, kind of Daniel Johnston or what is very lo-fi i was gonna say lo-fi singer songwriter type stuff as well daniel johnson my elliot smith my my um uh comparison for that was going to be car seat headrest so they they i don't think they're quite as lo-fi as that but they do have a kind of playful quality playful indie quality quality to them as well Mm. um but you know i think the fact that no one can really put put their finger on what this band sound like is is much to their credit really i mean i think they are there aren't well we've had a couple of bands this week who are like that but really those bands are pretty few and far between um and and just the fact even even with a ranty pazuzu in every single word i uh, review i see the word shamanic black metal blah 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 you know with wildcat strike people just seem bewildered and don't really know how to cohesively describe it which you know is a pain in the ass for people like us but i think it says loads for the band themselves and it's why i really really Mm. love it unfortunately i think that's going to be i think that's the best thing about them but i also think it's going to be the biggest hurdle for them ever getting as big as they probably deserve to be uh because you know it is it is a fucking pain in the ass to try and describe this kind of thing but I think that that's the best kind of stuff, really. Um, you yeah. you discussed Swamp, um, which, yes, I think I probably agree is probably the best song on the record. Starts with this beautiful tinkling intro uh, on piano, but then these guitar chords come in, which just make it sound really elegiac as well. They have a really weird kind of fairground carnival-esque sound. Um, that permeates- Turned out about everyone this week. Uh, I said circus for a Ranzi Pazuzu. Oh yeah, you the, did. Yeah, there is a there Shit. is there is a subtle difference because circus because because fairground is is prettier um, than circus if that makes sense. It's nursery. I, mean, I don't know what fairgrounds you've been going to. <laughs> well, it's nursery rhyme esque is what I mean. There's a weird sort of nursery rhyme esque quality to a lot of the melodies that Wildcat Strike use. Um, but then, you know, it's juxtaposed in a very oxymoronic way with lyrics about death, usually. Um, you know, there's a lyric in Swamp, which is gone dark again. The day I die, I hope the sun's white teeth are shining. And it's that sort of bittersweetness that they do so fucking well, which just melts my heart personally. Um, mm. I I fucking love this band. I wish i wish they were massive <laughs> um and and it is one of those things where i go oh they're never going to be are they because they're too weird for people but i think they're fucking brilliant i've never really heard a mix of 
early emo and post-rock before um probably the only exception to that would be the apple seed cart but even but i don't think they're the same at all um i think they're genuinely their own unique thing and and i i really really love it the only thing that i dislike about this ep is it's too short but then it is an ep so that's pretty a pretty unfair thing to say of it really yeah well yeah 15 minutes is quite short but the amount of people that we mentioned in that 15 exactly that, that we got from that 15 minutes should tell you that um they're quite a, a idiosyncratic unique band yeah exactly. i really like this yeah i think it's yeah. good um i do think i probably just because of the length i prefer the the previous record but you know it's a nice little stopgap EP and you're right. People should go and listen to it. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's mustard colored years by wildcat strike. It's out now. And that is the end of our review section. And it brings us to the last section of the show, which is broken records where Renfrey and I delve into the archives of music and we try and work out exactly what is the worst album of all time. Uh, we have got some stinkers in there so far. Yes, we do. Um, we have Six Feet Unders, uh, Graveyard, Graveyard Classics 2. Cla- <laughs> We've got um, Eogan Quigg's self-titled debut record. We have um, the, uh, the second album, One by dirty vegas we have <laughs> which is still very very confusing even even a week later uh we have streets in the sky which started it all by the enemy and uh, way off in the distance we have the um, very odd metal machine music by lou reed um and lou reed is going to be joined finally by somebody of some note today Uh, because we're talking about bob dylan Mm. the album self-portrait the 10th studio album from the legendary singer-songwriter bob dylan a follow-up to the classic nashville skyline uh which features lay lady lay um, one of dylan's best known songs um self-portrait was released on the 8th of june 1970 a double album of covers live tracks instrumental tracks plenty of guests um dylan's first album uh, uh, of the 1970s and the second double album of his career um after the essential blonde on blonde album four years earlier um when asked why he released a double album he said i mean if you're going to put a lot of crap on it you might as well load it up um before we get into <laughs> it renfrey what yeah presumably you're a bob dylan fan um i think bob dylan is probably the greatest and the worst musician of all time <laughs> depending on what era you're what era you're <laughs> yeah, uh, talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about um you know the early stuff that everyone goes on about is absolutely wonderful my personal favorite dylan album is uh, bringing it all back which contains mm-hmm. ooh, subterranean homesick blues uh Does. mr tambourine man uh Oh, he's going to get it. I'm going, I'm going to get it because it's annoying me that I can't remember what other brilliant songs are on here. Oh, fucking hell. Maggie's Farm. Um, oh, Gates as of, covered by Regent's Machine. As co- yeah, very, very, very different version. Gates of Eden. Uh, it's, all, it's all right. Mara Money Bleeding. Fucking brilliant song. Um, mm. Bob Dylan, in my opinion, has never released a all killer, no filler record, even bringing it all back home. 
uh, which is a wonderful album, has uh, Bob Dylan's 115th Dream on it. Um, bit of advice if if you want some songs to avoid, if it contains the words Bob, Dylan's and Dream in it, just avoid it because he's done a few of those and they're all shit. Um, but so when he's good, he's amazing. Uh, I've seen Bob Dylan live, Steve. Have you ever seen Bob Dylan How live? How was that? Fucking atrocious. No, fucking atrocious. Of course he is. My fucking mum atrocious. actually saw him. So uh, I, I like listening to Bob Dylan because it's basically my mum's favourite artist right. ever. Right. Uh, and she used to play Blood on the Tracks a mm. lot when I was a kid. And she saw Bob Dylan. <sighs> she told me she saw Bob Dylan... Um, before I was born, so going back into the sort of mid seventies, it might have been kind of blood on the tracks. Blood on the tracks is seventy five, I want to say. That sounds I want to say right. It's about, but it's the mid seventies anyway. Um, and um, so she saw him then, and she was like, "He has lost it. He's passed it. He was fucking absolutely terrible." Uh, and even that was back in nineteen seven, and that was in nineteen seventy eight, seventy seven, whenever it was she saw him, but. Um, yeah, so I don't really have much desire to go and see, even though he is a living legend, bloody bloody blah. Um, I don't really have much desire to go and see somebody who I'm pretty sure is going to be way, way, way past their sell by date, personally. Mm, mm. Well, I saw him in 2003 when I didn't have the perspective um, that you've just showed. Uh, and I was like, Bob Dylan, fucking great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been quite well reported, like, how dreadful he is now um but you know he doesn't play guitar anymore he just plays keys which is not really the bob mm. dylan that people think about or like um he was at the sort of side of the stage um and you know you don't have to be front and center to be amazing uh maynard james keenan for example but absolutely no charisma whatsoever um his voice whilst his voice has never been super super strong um and and hasn't it's never really been the point of what dylan does um his voice is really shot to shit these days um it was a very very long two hours um not helped by the fact that i was with two rabid bob dylan fans who would probably praise a box of his shit as the best album of the last 20 <laughs> years. Um, so yeah, they're about, aren't they? Yeah, who, who had very, very kindly... I mean, they'd driven me to the show. They'd driven me from Oxford to Birmingham to see the show, so I didn't want to be rude. So I was like, yeah, it's great, isn't it? But it was fucking awful. Um, well, that seems like quite a good place to go into self-portrait, Renfrey, talking uh, about obsessive Bob Dylan fans who think that everything Bob Dylan does, even a bucket of his own shit, <laughs> is absolutely brilliant. Because around the time of 1970, Bob Dylan was considered the voice of his generation, which is quite a lot of um, pressure to put on the shoulders of a young man in a country as divided as America was in the early 1970s. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and he'd had a, a motorcycle accident in 1966 and had kind of taken a step back um, from what he had been tending to do. He, rather than a step back, because obviously he had released records since then, but he had um, kind of had a... Uh, th things like that, like kind of near-death experiences, tend to make you reevaluate what is and what isn't important in your life. And yeah. I think um, uh, around that time so much hyperbole was written about bob dylan not just as a musician but as the some kind of 
savior messiah some sort of savior um there's also was a trend around the time to kind of bootleg and black market all of his concerts and tape trade them um that was the the demand for his material that people would obsessively collect any kind of document they could find of bob dylan Mm. performing or singing um so with all that in mind there is some kind of wondering about what this record is and what actually it was inspired by Mm. um do you have any initial thoughts as to what this record is before we go into it um i have a theory as to what this record is but um it wouldn't be an initial thought it would probably be a summing up thought okay fair enough well Here's the thing. There seems to be a couple of different camps. Now, some people believe that this is a very personal take on the double album and that the self and the portrait are represented by either side of the record. One of those people, do you know who thinks that, Renfrey? Our good friend, Robert Christigou, the uh, the, <laughs> the uh, music reviewer of some note uh, who we have spoken about pretty much every time we ever go to review uh, a record retrospectively yeah. now um we get the thoughts and feelings of robert christigou because he tends to get things insanely badly wrong oh my um, god yeah. and does he say with, this is the best record of dylan's career or something <laughs> he says conceptually this is a brilliant album which is organized i think by two central ideas first that self is most accurately defined and depicted in terms of artifacts in this case pop tunes and folk songs claimed as personal property and semi-spontaneous renderings of past creations frozen for posterity on a piece of tape and perhaps even a couple of songs one has written to oneself to which one responds second that the people's music is the music people like mantuvani strings and all now he used one a lot in that (laughs) i don't like that quite what he means by that i don't really know but i think what people were kind of getting at is this is supposed to be some kind of i mean the album's called self-portrait uh it's a double album there's covers of some sort of traditional folk songs on it i think people thought oh we're getting a double album which is a kind of autobiograph autobiographical version of dylan's life where he kind of tells his story and then looks back at his story Mm -hmm. almost i think right now that's like way off i think (laughs) i I think that's nonsense yeah um others just believe this is bob dylan desperately trying to distance himself from his increasingly demanding farm fan base um particularly for the record i think that's nonsense as well right okay so um uh he described um uh the the music industry as leeches uh and in an interview with rolling stone in 1984 when talking about this album he said this he said there'd be crowds outside my house and i said well fuck it i wish these people would just forget about me i want to do something they can't possibly like that they can't relate to they'll see it and they'll listen and they'll say well let's get on to the next person he ain't saying it no more he ain't giving us what we want you know they'll go on to somebody else but the whole idea backfired because the album went out there and people said this ain't what we want and they got more resentful and then i did this portrait for the cover i mean there was no title for the album i knew somebody who had some paints and a square canvas and i did the cover up in five minutes and i said well 
I'm going to call this album Self-Portrait. So that's what Bob Dylan himself said about the release of the record. Of course, that's 14 years after the release of the record. Now, it might be true. It might be all one big ruse. Uh, It might be him backtracking on the way that people felt about it. I don't really know. Um, But what I do know is that what we got, as mentioned, is a Bob Dylan double album full of covers and reworkings of songs and live tracks. Uh, Um, I'll I'll split it. It's 24 songs, uh, 70, just shy of 75 minutes. Uh, Eight are Bob Dylan originals. Um, Some of those eight are live versions and some of them are just originals that haven't been heard before. Six are covers of traditional folk songs and the remaining 10 tracks are covers of songs by the likes of Paul Simon, Gordon Lightfoot, uh, the Lomax Brothers, who I mentioned... Uh, oh it's not come out yet but i mentioned on that sepultura roots uh classic albums special which is upcoming Mm -hmm. if you recall um so yeah that's what it is um still when it was released i suppose you would talk about the critical assessment that it got which is kind of why it's in this section here Mm. four words are the summation um ultimately of of what the critics thought what is this shit is the opening <laughs> line of a very famous Rolling Stone review, which gave it one star, as did many of the publications at the time. Uh, the 1991 book, The Worst Rock and Roll Records of All Time, named it, named it the third worst album ever made. Number one was Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, incidentally. Mm. Um, so presumably we should put this above that. Um, but what is it about this record, do you think, Renfrey, that make people hate it? so much um my theory is that self-portrait is effectively an album of studio outtakes and b-sides uh an odds and sods collection if you will um before the concept of a b-sides album even existed that's my theory um dylan in 1985 uh what was this for cameron crow interviewed dylan for his liner notes to the 1985 biography box set and dylan said self-portrait was a bunch of tracks that we'd done all the time uh, uh that we'd done all the time i'd gone to nashville so for his previous record nashville skyline We did that stuff to get a studio sound. To open up, we'd do two or three songs just to get things right. And then we'd go on and do what we were going to do. So this is effectively studio, a lot lot of this, not all of it, but a lot of it is effectively studio outtakes from the Nashville Skyline sessions, um, which were just, you know, songs that Dylan was mucking around with or covers just to get everything sounding good in the studio that's what it is and Mm. um when taken with that context when considered to be a b-sides collection or a odds and sods collection or whatever i don't think this is that bad at all um as is the case with all b-sides collections the quality varies wildly um to i mean to give an example nick cave and the bad seeds released a three disc 56 song three and a half hour b 
B-Sides and Rarities collection, imaginatively titled B-Sides and Rarities. Um, and well, He's better than that, isn't he? <laughs> well, he <laughs> from Nick Cave, I'd expect a bit more. But, um, you know, and that album, as you'd expect, 56 songs, three and a half hours, uh, taken from 25 years of recorded music, it's all over the place. Of course it's all over the place. But it very sort of clearly states, look, this is B-Sides and Leftovers, um there are some absolute gems on there there's some songs which i never really need to hear ever again um but taken with that context it was reviewed very well it's, i checked it on metacritic it's got a score of 75 and there's plenty of b-sides records these days which will get you know relatively good scores most of the time people will say this is only for you if you're a massive fan of said artists but you know yeah i think at the time and, and i'd be curious if you can think of one and i'd be curious if anyone can think of a uh, record that came before this album came out this is 1970 that would have been termed a b-sides collection because i think that bob dylan accidentally made the first ever collection of b-sides effectively yeah i mean i was gonna say again much like last week um when looking at Dirty Vegas and trying to see it through the eyes of people who really loved house music mm. and much with Lou Reed a few weeks ago where we're now looking at kind of experimental avant-garde noise music mm. but having to look at it through the or listen to it with the ears of people that had never heard this genre existing before mm -hmm. this surely is about the context of time uh, yeah uh, this you know I mean in fact you don't have to look too hard uh, online for kind of revisionist reviews that tell you that actually this album is really good absolutely there are there are those um that those uh those reviews up already you know, i say already it's been out since 1970 but um you know that they're very very easy to find yeah um yeah. the other reason that i was going to bring up is and i kind of half mentioned it with dylan being the kind of the voice of the generation and you know the woodstock generation and i feel like bob dylan was somebody in, in 1970 he would have been somebody that those people demanded something real and raw from they demanded kind of guidance and a scathing takedown of from society from bob dylan hmm. and in what they got in this record is him going la -de -dee 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 yeah. over a brass band on wigwam yes so yes there's very there's it's very not... little on this record which you could say is giving any I don't think there's anything on this record actually which is giving any sort of socio political um, commentary or anything like that. I mean, there's a song on it called Woogie Boogie, which is as yeah. silly as the song title suggests. But mm. you know, it's two minutes long, and actually, for a B side, I think it was perfectly fine. Actually, you know, if yeah. we're calling this a B side, but of course, at the time, no one would have been calling it a B side. People viewed no. this as Bob Dylan, the Savior, the Messiah's the tenth, tenth album, tenth album. Yeah, which I yeah. think is not. I don't think that I think it's that's not completely the wrong context for it, and I think that is exclusively the reason why this album has got. Um, as many negative reviews as it's got. I mean, I can't remember what publication you said it was, but third worst album ever. That's an insane. Yeah. It's absurd. Yeah. There's so there's loads of great stuff on this record. The opening track, All the Tired Horses, is fucking beautiful. Goes on a bit. Uh, it goes on a little bit, but it is really it's a bit beautiful. Too long. I it's... knew you'd like that because it's just one thing happening over and over and over again. <laughs> so I'm like, Bob Dylan goes post rock. <laughs> it goes, it goes on a bit, you know. Uh, but there's a lovely orchestra. There's female vocals on it, which are absolutely lovely. I, I don't. I'm not even sure if Dylan's on that song. 
I don't think he is. No, I don't think he is. He, 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 he did wrote, he wrote it. it. Yeah, he wrote yeah. it, but I don't think he's even on it, you know. Um, but uh, and yeah, it's it's probably a minute too long. It's only three and a half minutes, though. I mean, we're not we're not talking, you know, it's not insanely um, OTT. Um, there's it's a, just one refrain over and over, though, isn't it? So yeah, it but quite... but what a ref- it's a beautiful refrain. It is a, it, yeah, it's it beautiful. Is, to be fair, yeah, you know, um, days of forty nine is a cover of one of the Lomax recordings, um, mm-hmm. which has this wonderful like honky tonky uh, honky tonky honky tonk s piano to it. It's a really great version. Um, he tell- let it be me. I think is great as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a a cover of uh, what's well, a French song mm-hmm. um, by. Uh, Gilard Bucot. I'm not even going to try and pronounce their, their weird <laughs> French names. Weird French names. They're weird. Um, French but yeah, it was it was a kind of French um, hit uh, from 1955, and it, it sounds really good. Dylan up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another great cover. Take a message to Mary. Tells a really beautiful narrative, and you know, it's not Dylan's original lyrics or or his original story, but he tells that story brilliantly. Um, take a message to Mary, but don't tell her where I am. Take a message to Mary, but don't say I'm in a jam. You can tell her I had to see the world or tell her that my ship's at sail. You can say she'd better not wait for me, but don't tell her I'm in jail. Beautiful. You know, it's lovely. And he delivers it really, really well. There's a song Copper Kettle, which is really, really good. It's not as good as the Joan Byers version, which she would do later, but then she's a much better vocalist than Dylan ever was. Quite like Gotta Travel On. I mean, there's loads of stuff on here, which is really, really good. There's also loads of stuff which is not... But then that's the nature yeah, of Insights Records, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, let's be honest here. This isn't a great Dylan record. I mean, this is definitely, no. definitely not a good Bob Dylan album. No. I mean, you know, it, but what it is, in fact, is barely really an album at all. It, it is what we said. It is. This is a this is the first ever unreleased B-Sides demos live album. Yeah. And some of it's decent and some of it... I mean, I would say to kind of, to put the the sort of, to say what I don't like about it, um, the live version of uh, Like a Rolling Stone is... is all over the shop it's not i think good. the cover of no. the boxer i think the cover of the boxer um by simon and garfunkel is dreadful it feels like they're doing it over skype um <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean like no, it's like two pissed up blokes walking down the street singing i predict a riot it's fucking <laughs> absolutely all over the place um and bob also seems to be doing less of his painting did hey, it's me bob dylan and more of that kind of croonery thing which is yes he's not terrible at doing it it's just a little bit odd isn't it i mean i think he'd like you say the nashville sessions he'd kind of introduced that different type of voice but hearing yeah. him do quite a straight cover of blue moon yes yeah 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 is 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 just you know a bit weird well it's him trying to be elvis presley which is really odd um i said last week oh brilliant i'm gonna get to do my bob dylan impression and sadly no i'm not really because he doesn't do his thing at all (laughs) no he doesn't i I just did it though so thank thank fuck for that um yeah thanks um i mean you know it's yeah it, it is all over the place this record but there's loads of really good stuff on it um, mm. And I, I, there's plenty of B-sides collections that I could name, which are far, far worse. You know, there's a few that I can mm. name which are better. But like, it's yeah, I, it's it's all about context, I think, in terms of why Absolutely. this was reviewed so poorly. And mm. um, you know, I think I, I don't think it's awful that it's in this broken record section. I don't think this is a broken record at all. Um, I just think people didn't understand what it was at the time because it never been done before as far as i'm aware although do let us know if mm. you do think of one 
Uh, the only one, also, the only one I thought of, which I think was the same year, Coda by Led Zeppelin. But then okay, yeah. that's not quite the same because that is a that was an unfinished record. Yeah. So I don't think that is the same as a B-sides collection mm. either. So you know, blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. I mean, the press, the negative press goes overboard. Way uh, overboard. They tend to go overboard. And it did like to give it, a, you know, for you metal fans listening, like it's almost like Load, what happened with yeah. Metallica on Load, isn't it? It's like, you know, the, although, you know, Load was definitely wasn't done just to deliberately fuck people off. I think there is a, there is a, a little bit of like, you know, they cut their hair and went, well, we're just going to do whatever we want to do. do you- and I think there may, there may be a little bit of, you know, and this is definitely not the worst. Deal. I mean, go and listen to Knocked Out Loaded and come back to me and tell me this is the worst Bob listen, Dylan listen album. Listen, like, listen to listen to Saved and tell me this is the worst Bob Dylan album. There are way worse yeah, Bob Dylan yeah, albums yeah. than this. Definitely. Do you remember yeah. I've said a few times, probably when we've been talking about Frank Turner or someone like that, I've I've said that like uh people who adore folk music can be as sort of antagonistic and frankly unreasonable when mm. it comes to this sort of thing as metalheads this is yep. what I'm talking about. It's it's this kind of attitude where it's like, what are you talking about? Basically like, oh, you're not saying anything um, that's mm. important or anything like that. So fuck you. You know, it's like, well, why do you have to do that on every record? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nonsense. It is. I mean, I was going to ask, I mean, I think Bob Dylan probably invented the B-Sides album. Did he also invent trolling and shitposting as well? Well, <laughs> quite possibly. Album? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, you know... <laughs> It is like, again, Bob, it does feel like he's there deliberately kind of trying to wind the audience up a little bit, which, you know, as in metal and, you know, with a comparison with Metallica going, fuck it, let's cut our hair. Mm. And him doing this and going electric, you know, Judas and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think, um, you know, the, the best artists do go, yeah, let's let's fuck with our very kind of regimented fan base. Totally, um, yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I've really got no problem with this record at all neither do i no no i don't there are there are you know there are songs on here which are rubbish but like i say given you know i didn't really like in search of little sadie i I know that song is a traditional song and and i don't like what he tries to do with it it's rubbish like you said that version of like a rolling stone from the 69 isle of Wight festival is not great there are far better live versions of like a rolling stone out there than that Mm. um you know there are there are shit songs on here but then you know name me a b-sides collection that doesn't have shit well there probably are a few b-sides collections that don't have a shit song on it but there aren't many it's probably not many probably one hand that you could count them on i would have thought yeah for sure so in terms of rankings um god you're gonna get your maths all over the fucking shop now, <laughs> yes you? i think i will like this is number one <laughs> no this is number seven well um, well this is the easiest for me because it is indeed Mm. The, for me this is easily the best album that we've reviewed in broken records which means it is number seven right uh so it's actually we've done is it this, number six this would be the sixth one so number six yeah um i'm going to challenge you on this a little bit actually oh, okay uh graveyard classics eog and quig dirty vegas enemy yeah i mean <laughs> just bye yeah. bye you're yeah, off yeah. in the distance <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but off in the distance is louis metal mm. machine music Thought now this might come up yep now, for me, uh, I think this is an all right version of Bob Dylan doing some all right stuff, but it is far, far, far from him at his kind of his apex, at, at his very, very best. Now, I'm not saying Metal Machine Music is the best Lou Reed album. I was going to say. But it's yeah. certainly the most 
notorious and influential album that we've we've done on this this show and it's as we said at the time the album that best defines and delivers what it first set out to deliver if mm-hmm. bob dylan was trying to troll his fans i don't really think he succeeded because some of this is all right if he wasn't mm-hmm. trying to troll his fans and he was just trying to release a good record he's also not done that either because this is not blonde on blonde but it's also not you know so bad that although the reaction to it is insane i don't think it's it's quite a subtle bit of trolling really mm-hmm. uh, unless i'm you know totally missing the point so it may not have general, been it may not have been subtle at the time to be fair but i mean yeah, looking back on it 50 not. years hence it seems really quite subtle now but at the time it might not have been but yes i understand what you're saying yeah but then you also aren't sure that it's actually a troll no. i think whatever you think about it and yes inventing the b-side album is a very kind of worthy noble and excellent thing to do because like you say there have been some really great b-sides collections Mm -hmm. over the years um i still think metal machine music delivers what it set out to do much more successfully i think it still has uh, the edge on this record not particularly because i'm probably more likely to go back and pick a song from this and listen to it again but i don't really think that's the point and it's a tough one to to kind of to compare those two these two records together Mm. but i do think but but i do think it's quite hard to compare metal machine music to fucking anything really but i do think metal machine music is more influential and has delivered the thing that it said it was going to do or it intended to do much more uh successfully than this record does i think it depends um what sort of list we're trying to create here if we're trying to create a list which is um albums that set out to do something and completely and utterly fail at it um then i would probably agree with your placing of self-portrait but for me the reason why i prefer self-portrait to metal machine music is i personally got little to no enjoyment out of metal machine music whereas this is a 74 minute record i reckon half an hour of this is great if 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 i made a compilation of the best songs on this record i'd have a, a relatively short dylan album but i'd have a very good short dylan record so which one of us is going to concede this point then Rimfrey? because it needs to be a universal thing Unless well, we put it to the unless we put it to the listeners well, and put it off in a vote. Oh, I don't. We're trying to get more listeners at the moment. I don't want to force them to <laughs> listen to metal machine music. <laughs> I, 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 um, I, I mean, you know, I, I know, I know that I kind of won this argument last time when we had a when we had a um, a, a similar um uh, discussion over dirty vegas and the enemy but i i think the list that we are making is we're trying to find the worst record and whilst metal machine music does succeed at what it sets out to do it, it metal machine music had no it didn't even want to be a good record whereas whether dylan wanted this to be a good record or not um, there are points where it is actually quite a good record. So mm. I... I suppose in the in the traditional sense of, am I going to sit down and listen to it? Yeah, 
I think you're probably right. In the sense of which record works more, this is broken records, which record works more, which record succeeds the most. I still think Metal Machine Music succeeds the most. It is less broken. It is fundamentally broken to shit because of what it is, though. So that actually does make it quite difficult. But um, on, on its entire like conception was fucking broken. So on, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Aren't B sides records broken by their very nature? Because you know it's incredibly difficult to make a cohesive B sides record. Of know, course it example. is, but but you know we are calling this the first b-sides record mm, even yeah. though it's officially bob dylan's 10th record. album yeah 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 i mean we've both said he's done worse records he's done worse records than this that's true that's true um okay again this week i'm going to concede and i'm going to put bob dylan above lou reed's metal machine music Thank you. More because I think I probably would listen to this again, uh, whereas I don't really need to listen to metal machine music. Yeah. Um, well, actually, that's one. That's one more point. I know. I know. I've effectively you've already conceded, but that is one more thing. This is the first broken record that we've covered that I would consider purchasing. Um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't if I saw this in FOP for three quid, five quid, I'd probably pick it up because I think there's enough mm. on it, which is which warrants having it in my collection i mean i wouldn't recommend anyone go to this record especially if i was trying to get them into dylan but there's good stuff on it so mm. yeah well let's see what comes out of the hat for next week renfrey that's uh bob dylan's self-portrait see people thought we we're going to be super negative about stuff i uh, just to kind of hammer that point home some of these albums in here they're not albums that we just think are shit that we're going to slag off they're albums that have been you know incorrectly reviewed yeah and yeah. we're hopefully making people you know some people might look at the reviews of that and go oh, i'll never listen to that even though i like bob dylan and you're right i think there's you know it's an interesting flavor flavor of bob dylan on here yeah. but anyway enough about bob dylan because next week we are going to be talking about <laughs> viva brother famous first words by viva brother right okay um, no nothing about that myself mm, i kind of know the name and I'm a bit like, oh, it's <laughs> okay. great. <laughs> so next week, we're going to be talking about Famous First Words by Viva Brother. We'll also be reviewing new records from Trivium, Elder, Elephant Tree, and a few more. Plus, don't forget to go over to musicism.net, type in Riot in the checkout, and you'll get 25% off of all of those courses for guitarists vocalists, producers, singers, songwriter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And go to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast where you can listen to our very uh, exciting take on Screaming Trees Sweet Oblivion or for £5 a month, coming Monday, our two-parter with uh, me and Renfrey going through Radiohead in some pretty fucking insane detail. So that should be up um, both parts on Monday. One part about OK Computer, you can have that for free. Um, but we would really, really appreciate you, um, you know, sticking your hand in your pocket and giving us a fiver a month for it because I think they've been very, very good. So, yes, yeah, that would be lovely. And In Rainbows is a fucking incredible record as well. So, yes, yeah. so good. Um, all right, cool. Well, we'll be back next week and we will, yeah, be doing all those things I just said we we're going to do. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. All right. You're doing so uh, well. You were doing so well, man. You're doing so well. See you next week, uh, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.